0: we Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Media Made Me here on the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network. I am Felipe the Brazilian Dragon, and today we are going to learn a little bit about this man, Mike Bloom. Mike, how do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? I'm sure they already know who you are, but... Wow!
1: Just <laughs> throwing a fastball down the plate for me. I guess that's the first thing to say is I'm a new sports fan. I hope yes. that metaphor worked out for you. Um, Wow. Wow, that is a loaded question, and I'm used to asking them, I guess I should say, to that point. Uh, I am probably most well-known as an entertainment journalist and podcaster covering lots of things, both scripted and reality form. though the scripted content is starting to eke out a little bit at the time we're recording this, uh, mainly on the networks of Rob Has a Podcast, and internationally renowned award-winning reality tv satellite series of podcasts as well as post show recaps which is the scripted side of rhap i have been podcasting for close to 10 years at this point will be 10 years in february of 2024 have been writing uh do i do interviews for mostly reality television for parade.com for about six years at this point i have a four-year-old son I live in New Jersey. Leo, uh, likes to yeah. walks on the beach. Yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. Like we're not dragons, but yeah. we're though. I was born. That was the year of the snake, which I feel like is. is I there, was is the, the year of the
0: ox, so it doesn't even.
1: Is, the there's story. not a year of the dragon, right? Or is that just, just is. the name of there? Oh, okay. okay. I thought that's just the name of a Spyro game.
0: I think there is a year of the dragon. Also, year, you,
1: oh, next year is actually the year of the dragon, so that could be your year, year, Felipe.
0: It could be. I mean, we gotta we gotta throw a banger of a party for the year of the dragon. Actually, like we should we should. Find a reason for all the Leos and post-show recaps for R.H.A.P. Land to come together and party. I mean, that's
1: going to be a disaster. For We're all so headstrong and spotlight loving that it's just going to be a cavalcade of narcissism. And I don't talk it. about
0: Jessica Sterling like that. No. Oh, no, never, <laughs> never.
1: I would never. Because you, she'd kill me. <laughs> yeah.
0: You're burying the lead. You also forgot uh, would you say creative producer co-producer of Survivor South Africa like some sort oh, of Oh like
1: yeah I forgot about producer. that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think creative producer is my official name. Do you have an or... IMDb?
0: If not, we got to no, make you one. No. We gotta make you one. <laughs>
1: I don't have an IMDb. I don't manage like I I get dragged kicking and screaming onto a lot of these like new fashion fangled <laughs> things. I probably showed up I want to be like somewhat of a semi-professional, but yeah, okay. I guess to your point I don't have and IMDb, well, the other thing is that my name, yes. like the name Mike Bloom, not my actual uh, identity is yeah. like reminiscent across so many different profiles. There's a Mike Bloom in hockey. There's a Mike Bloom in basketball. There's a Mike Bloom who uh, was part of uh, Riley Kylo or whatever that name of the band was. So the Mike Blooms have come and gone yeah. before and assumingly after me. And so I don't want to be like Mike Bloom parentheses XII on yeah. IMDb. That's what they do, right?
0: who knows i don't i have no idea you don't know
1: i'm to be better than i do i uh, I'm to, sure I've, you did a lot of studying for your job
0: i also need to make myself an imdb but i'm oh. kind of lazy i I'm if you want getting, if you want to
1: make one for me while
0: you're there that'd be great honestly sure yeah i will definitely do that uh but uh we we gotta get you as like michael jamal Lindsay justine bloom the third or something then you can be like i don't know
1: yeah, oh. I mean, listen, I could certainly go with that. I think they'd have a lot of yeah. questions about, I don't know. I don't know if I want to cop many different identities by my set well, of middle, middle names. You might
0: have to go the Andrew Barthelman, the Lily Rose Depth, like three names, mm. celebrity. Um, yeah,
1: my middle name is William. I guess that's another thing to know about me. So, like, Michael William Bloom could work, but I'm not a Michael. People yeah. are Michaels. I'm a Mike. I'll be completely honest. It just yeah, you, you're Mike on the mic. Um, there we just, go. Yeah. That's why I was I was – Such a quote unquote natural for this. I still don't think I'm a natural, but I'm happy to be on the mic talking with you today, Felipe. I
0: appreciate it. I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, Haley Strong, I think I I feel like I adopted it from her because I she used to be the one who would always go full name like Robert, Michael, Mm -hmm. Joshua. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, oh, yeah, I get that a lot.
1: I get it when I'm being like particularly sassy or goofy from my from my wife, from my my parents. Like, I am used to the full name, uh, but it usually comes when I am, to your point, going more full bloom.
0: Sir Wiggler definitely did it on a recent episode of Down the Hatch Heroes Edition. Which oh, yeah. Up. I mean, that
1: was warranted. That was, hilarious. that was warranted. So, yeah, the Michael can get pulled out. It's, it's a, yeah. the uh the nice little piece of jewelry that you'll trot out on like a very special occasion. If you wear That's it awesome. every day, it feels like it, it has a different meaning to it.
0: Well, we are getting to know you in the media sense, and I feel like Full Bloom is a part of your personality. I did take some notes beforehand. It is as in the improv comedy uh full bloom section of my questions that i want to get (laughs) to okay (laughs) like i feel like i don't know like improv comedy like is we'll we'll get to there okay Okay, yeah, we'll get
1: it we'll get it's part of your
0: personality and like it's something that we associate with you the full bloom the euphemisms the sense of humor so i don't know like it probably stems from like some sort of comedy or media that shaped you uh oh yeah yeah so um but uh Thank you for joining me, Mike. Just to reintroduce to the audience this concept, we are gonna get to know you as the media that shaped your identity, your personality. We talked in the pre-show nature versus nurture, like how did the nurture uh, shape your uh, identity in terms of like, you obviously work in the media spaces, you are passionate about this field, um, but like how did it
1: inspire and uh, create the Mike Bloom that we know and love today? oh um, thank you for saying love uh it's like you know know and tolerate today yes. uh so at yeah. the very least
0: i love you mike bloom oh, you have I been a part too, of my man. life oh, thank you mike heart this is the second podcast i've given a heart to today uh so wow I'm how very... many
1: podcasts have you done today Two. okay great i was gonna say like i don't know what the ratio
0: is <laughs> no uh it was uh to call out podcast. some people that
1: you were uh, you weren't having some fun with yeah today, but it th- seems like you were
0: it was. I didn't give Navi a heart, and I'm so sorry, Navi, on the Phineas and Fred podcast. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Navi knows I love her, but I, I don't think she loves me as much as she loves the idol. Um, we. This is. She. She's fascinated by this series,
1: like. And, okay. So well, there's yeah. a difference between fascination and like actual enjoyment. She loves like, it for the means. Am, Oh yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Like I am fascinated. This is totally tangential. I am fascinated with all of the Colleen Colleen Ballinger stuff. Like I had a remedial knowledge of Miranda sings as of about a month ago and now like i know all the deets i know the inside terms like it is just something content creation is obviously something that i'm involved in and something that mystifies me and so that is something that like i cannot tear my eyes away from but i can't necessarily say like "Ooh, i'm having a lark at this from either perspective
0: the the car crash that you gotta keep your eyes like towards like i mean kind of like the big brother live feeds in my opinion sometimes Ooh, <laughs>
1: yeah 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 exactly it's like it's it's people watching to the most salacious yeah. aspect and as long as you're keeping yourself in check acknowledging that it does help the medicine go down a little smoother
0: exactly yeah and that's just why
1: i appreciate the
0: content creators like you where like you're in it you're the journalists for us that are starting to become more disenfranchised, detached. Like we can always rely upon the strong journalists like you and the strong content creators that will like keep us in the know without having to like push ourselves further. Like you are probably sacrificing a little bit of your mental health for our happiness. Um, I mean,
1: listen, I, I also, you know, I'm, it's sort of like a chain and that there have been people and obviously this has been even more largely exposed through a lot of the fantastic investigatorial work that has been done into like the status of hollywood culminating in the strikes that are occurring to this moment as to like the people from a creative process who put their own physical and mental health on the line and that does not always need to be the creative process that i think the misattribution of like the tortured artist is one of the worst stereotypes that has been brought into the creative medium in general. But I don't know, from my own content creation perspective, I think I certainly came on and started things feeling like I had to not necessarily act a certain way, but that I would be only necessarily tolerated if I, I did things in a very certain way or had very certain opinions. And I think over time, coupled with my own mental health journey and and finally getting to explore things like medication and therapy after nearly three decades of undiagnosed anxiety and depression, I learned that, like, I am confident in my own voice, even if my voice itself sounds like, you know, the most uh, nerdy, nasally thing you could possibly imagine. And I do look that way, folks, (laughs) people who might guess uh, how to pair the physique with the voice. But to realize that, like, I'm not necessarily sacrificing my mental health in doing these types of things, but I think showcasing it has allowed me to not only open up about a lot of things uh, to an audience that, A, may not even realize it about me or about themselves, and B, allows me to connect with people on a much deeper level than I ever could have if it's just talking about a random reality show. Uh, it's, it's been incredible to find a community of like-minded people such as yourself and I don't know if I'd be able to do that if I felt like, and from an emotional standpoint, I had to keep things at arm's length because I didn't feel like I was fully being myself in every way, shape, and form.
0: I want to take a couple things that you said. Uh, something that I really try to do is like recognize the trailblazers that came before me, especially in spaces that I occupy as um, a bisexual person, as a Latino person. Uh, but like in terms of a content creator, like you, I hope you know that you have been one of like my big inspirations in what I do. Uh, There's not a lot of like transparency i feel like i am definitely like trying to do things in the same sort of style like of the ways that you recap things and try to like also show up as a very goofy silly boy as i identify as <laughs> yes um, yes but uh also uh i also have done a lot of like learning this year and you started your podcast journey like you said almost 10 years ago you were like what early mid-20s like just out of
1: college uh, when you yeah so i was I was 20. Don't make me math. uh, I was 24 turning 25. Okay. Yeah. And that was also in the midst of like major life changes. I just trying to gave up on trying to do the acting lifestyle had just started doing more of a full-time job. And then like two months later that bug started itching again. And I was like, Oh, this is an opportunity for me to perform in a very different way without necessarily needing to talk about another like mental health ringer that you run yourself through trying to be a full-time performer.
0: Oh, I can I can relate to like the related grind as someone who was trying to like be a PA my first year of like full-time work. And I was just like miserable and I just like kind of stopped that. And now I do something else where I'm trying to find my footing uh but it's not about me but anyways it just like in it is of, though like- it is
1: like it's a oh, con- yeah. there's two people involved in this conversation let's let's involve you in okay. this as well uh
0: but it just like I feel like in the last couple years I've just grown a lot in just like two years from like early 20s to like mid 20s and I feel like just like you've done it on camera on podcasts on microphones and you've grown like you had that period of time like also where you were learning about yourself this is like a weird time as my therapist tells me regularly that like Uh your 20s are a mind f a lot of times uh I don't know why I censored myself this is my podcast I can do whatever whatever you want absolutely but um,
1: throw some dollar bills in the swear jar just to cover you for this episode perfect
0: uh but yeah and I know I've reached out to you about like how you being transparent with your mental health journey has been helpful for me to like representation in that sense is important so uh just like uh before we get like into Uh, diving deep, uh, digging deep, if you will. Uh, uh, (laughs) I am very appreciative of everything you've brought, like bringing your full self to these conversations that you Mm. do, just like as a listener and as someone in these spaces that engages with this material. Thank you for being authentically yourself and uh, bringing all that you provide to uh, these podcasts and these uh, pieces of media.
1: Oh, my God. I did not expect this whatsoever. Thank you. Sincerely. I I say this all the time, but, and you experience this as well, you know, content creation is something that, that i like to quote unquote perform in a manner of speaking. You know, that's, that's that background that I come from. I, I like making an audience happy, but the tough thing about making a career online is that if you send things out to like 10 people and 10 people listen, view, read it, I'd say maybe like, three of them are going to send you feedback and two, maybe all three will probably be them saying that they didn't like something. And so the idea of feedback is disproportionately negative, I would say, to when I get opportunities to talk with, with you, when I get to meet people at various events, it's one of my favorite things I get to do because it's just so nice to like have people standing there in front of me, honestly, to have that validation of like, oh, okay, you actually like, this stuff, and to remember that when you get criticism, when you get that troll screaming down your ear, that that's not necessarily representative of the entire community that you yeah. are sending it to. There's obviously going to be a variety of opinions, especially reacting to things like media, where people have such vested interests in properties, characters, personalities, etc. But at the same time, to not necessarily think that if you see a, a bad comment, it's indicative of what every single person that engages with their content feels like Th- there are relatively healthy people out there who will just listen to something and move on with their day. I do it as well with podcasts with YouTube with TV with movies. And so I think we also need to be a bit kinder on ourselves as content creators to like, remember that the iceberg goes pretty dang deep at this point. Don't look at the surface and think that's all there is.
0: A hundred percent. Like, I have definitely felt overwhelmed by, like, uh, the the need to, like, be on top of everything and just, like, letting go a little bit and, like, trying to prioritize, like, taking a back seat is important. I think I would encourage everyone who's a little bit chronically online, like I've been in the past, uh, like, a lot of these trolls and haters to take a, don't touch grass, as the kids say. Um, I mean,
1: no better time than now where nobody knows where to go on social media than to say the only way to play to win is not to play a la war games, right? It's
0: a hot summer. It's a hot boy summer. Uh, <laughs> go to the pool. Go for a walk. Touch some grass. Um, and listen to those podcasts while you're going on that walk. And then instead of firing up Twitter, Blue Sky, whatever it may be, maybe be like, that was an experience I had. Uh, you can keep that comment for yourself and maybe write it down for a rainy day. Yeah. Um exactly.
1: I, I, listen, we we got, you know, yeah. off the beaten path and then onto another path and then like into an entirely different field. But yeah. again, like I said before, going back to the Kali Ballinger of it all, like the idea of content creation has really mystified me and particularly the interaction with online audiences and fandom, either your own fandom, if you're so lucky, or the fandom of the content that you engage in. So it's moments like that that, like, I try to keep in my pocket and try to preach as much as I can practice. Uh, So hopefully people out there can realize it as well, especially those of you, like Felipe did, that are luckily and creatively gaining the initiative to, like, make your own stuff. Do not let a lack of commentary or negative commentary completely dissuade you. Certainly if it's feedback for things, take it, especially if you're starting out, but like take everything with that grain of salt, right? Don't take the full gulp down and not even savor the taste of it.
0: Oh, I, I love that metaphor, <laughs> even though it's, it's, it's very Mike Bloom because it's a little weird, but also like very valid and heartfelt. It refers to cum, yes. <laughs> I love it. Full bloom off the bat. Is that the first
1: time you've ever said that word on a podcast? Oh, come! I'm sure not. Okay. I, I've done this for 10 years, Felipe. I'm sure if you put all my podcasts in like a transcription service and you search the word "come," it will probably come up like uh, at least a dozen times. <laughs> but is this the most time you've said it on a podcast? Oh, definitely in terms of frequency. Yeah, yeah like okay. the, the CTMs, the comes per minute, like... <laughs> have been firing at a heavy rate here
0: uh no because i recently did a phineas and fur podcast and i made a masturbation joke and i was like i think that's the first time i've ever said that in this uh setting and Navi was like possibly that might be the first time that's ever come up uh pun intended uh (laughs) but uh i was like it's also weird to bring up on a phineas and fur podcast so that would make sense except if you follow vincent Martella on twitter boy needs to be bonked he is horny as hell is he in horny jail He needs to be in horny jail. He tweeted on the 11th. It is 7-11th and none of you have slurped me yet. Uh, Oh, something like that.
1: Do you think it's this thing where sort of like the Bob Saget, may he rest in peace of like, he had to be so squeaky clean for so long. And then now that he's assumingly out of the game with children's television shows, for many reasons, he's like, all right. He's now. Oh, really? Denise and Ferb
0: is coming back.
1: Oh, I remember. Well, listen, I mean, well,
0: they're also uh, under the Animation Guild, so it might—I I think they're going to be striking now. But like, they were writing still because they were under the Animation Guild. I did—I—I I, I am a part of the Phineas and Ferb talk. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. Is there like online? fan groups or Discord? no i just
0: on tiktok and will and i are both frequently on the tiktok and then we talk about it on our podcast
1: and then is there like send fin talk what's the name for phineas and for tiktok you know like book talk for book yeah, fans no I, I doof talk maybe doof talk yeah. i or love well that's you might have accidentally written a storyline for the revival is dr doofy Schwartz comes back and makes doof talk
0: Listen, Doofenshmirtz is as we are chugging along slowly, very slowly on our finishing <laughs> and Ferb watch. Uh, he is getting pettier and pettier. One of this last episodes that we recapped is going to be uh, about how he wanted to cause rain to the tri-state area with his Raininator because he kept getting interrupted by soccer games when he was trying to watch his telenovelas.
1: <laughs> well, okay, that is incredibly petty and vindictive. I feel yeah. like usually his plans are evil, but in a different way to benefit him. And I guess this is, but this feels. Like, not even for monetary value. It's just, I want to enjoy this one thing.
0: I cannot wait until your son is old enough to watch Phineas and Frir because Because specifically? I think that is a show that is so freaking quirky that is up Mike Bloom's alley. Like, I, I know you've dabbled, but, like, if he ever embraces it, I think that will be a show that, much like you mentioned that you enjoy watching Bluey over his shoulder... That you might yeah. enjoy watching Phineas and Ferb over his shoulder. Oh yeah, day. I
1: mean, I'm a I'm a huge animation nut. I will fully admit that, like, I was watching the big three of Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, and Disney Channel, like, I would say into like, late teens, early 20s, when that is clearly not my age demo. Though I also know that those shows were having, like, a bit of a comeback as well, uh, at least in the past recent era. And I've definitely dabbled from time to time. Like Angela and I watched all of Gravity Falls. It's so good. It's like we lost. We loved loved it so much. Yeah, that's the thing is I never I've never seen Twin Peaks. We can certainly get into this with like the media that, you know, inspired me is like uh, for a very long time in my life, I was not into drama whatsoever. And so I missed everything with Twin Peaks. But like to see essentially a cartoonized version of it with even more of an absurd comic lens in Gravity Falls it was a lot of fun I really enjoyed a lot of the DuckTales reboot as well uh which I feel like was actually even more skewed towards our age considering how many celebrities were brought in so there's some good stuff that gets brought out there nowadays I'm not particularly ashamed of the fact that like yeah I watched a good smattering of Phineas and Ferb I really enjoyed oh. it I didn't watch the uh his follow-up though the Weird Al one.
0: Oh, uh Milo Murphy's Law is that something like that yeah. yeah i haven't seen that either yeah we're at the stage of Phineas of her that i haven't seen any of these episodes besides oh. like the tv movies Candace against the universe is a banger though uh the disney plus movie that they uh came out in 2020 during the pandemic oh um, yes yeah, uh,
1: so definitely by 2020 I, I would say maybe by like early 2010s yeah i ended up dropping off just due to you know my starting my own young adolescent life college and just like even though I was probably in a state several nights to like flip on a random cartoon and laugh my ass off, I just didn't have the capacity to do so. It
0: these these kids' cartoons can be very enjoyable when you're in that mind frame.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, it's good shit though nowadays. Yeah. I do think that like the wealth of content that is available to children nowadays. I mean, listen, like I've watched Coco Melon, I've watched <laughs> Bluey. Uh, Bluey, I love. Uh, sorry, I don't want to put impugn Bluey by putting in the same breath. As Coco Melon. I've watched Blippy, even though Blippy is more educational than I thought it would be. But I've watched like these kids' toy YouTubers like Vlad and Nikki, which are these two Russian. Is Ryan like... out of the game? Ryan, I think, is friends with them, but he has not ventured into Ryan content. For some okay. reason, he has found Vlad and Nikki and he has glommed onto them. These boys that run around just doing shenanigans with their poor beleaguered mother. <laughs> but the good news is that there is like high quality children's content that's put out there like a bluey, which is like an absolutely fantastic piece of television for both kids and parents. I have taken several lessons from it, but then also you have this entire backlog of stuff to your point that like you could show him dating back to like the eighties and seventies where, yeah, the animation quality may be a bit chintzy. Asher really got into the, droid series on disney plus uh which aired in the 1980s was a spinoff featuring r2d2 and c3po and it's not very good but it's cool to think about just the fact that with history and media as much as unfortunately services now have started to pivot to removing availability of certain things that for a while at least we had such a wealth of stuff available at our fingertips from a variety of years that we can show to people or rewatch ourselves at any time
0: it's so disappointing that they've taken all this stuff as someone who's worked on a show that is not accessible anymore. Luckily my dad watched it, but my mom and brother were very slow watchers and now they can't watch promised land, which if you can find it on a bootleg, I support you at this point, but yeah, that's the thing is I'm,
1: it's coming from someone who just recently engaged on his own uh, project for a podcast. I'm watching Battlestar Galactica for the first time. And just as we started it up, it left Peacock and now Everything old is new again, Felipe, it's not just about like 90s fashion and bringing back 2000s technology. I'm starting to get back into physical media now purchased a blu ray player and I'm like, okay, now this feels more reliable somehow, than Um... the streaming services.
0: I might have to do that. Like someone did, like a whole DVD haul at work the other day, and I got like I went there late, so I got like uh, those two girls from the Ellen clip where she, oh, they were in tutus. The, yeah, they had a movie, Sophie and something. So Sophia Grace
1: and, and something. Yeah,
0: and her friend. Like they have a princess movie. I got oh, that, that poor that poor
1: girl got you yeah. know uh, the Ann Peggy. If Sophia Grace is the yeah. one that takes the full remembrance of naming.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, poor poor Ann Peggy. Uh, <laughs> I can probably look her up but I'm not Um, but I got their princess movie from a few years after that moment like just because I'm like I have this I'm going to give it to someone as a birthday gift but that was like what was left the type of stuff that was left in the dvd hall but uh i was personally a sesame street kid so mm. i don't know if, uh your son is gonna get into the sesame street of we, but... we
1: did sesame street for a little bit there are some like sesame street spin-offs mm-hmm. now like there's an animated series featuring elmo and abby and cookie monster where they're My like guy, elmo. R- robots and they Ooh. are you know but it, but also they're teaching like scientific concepts but he watched sesame street for a while and the thing is also this ebbs and flows as well, much like his own mental states, and so like he might go through a Sesame Street phase and then drop it like a lead balloon and then come back to it six months later, so that's the thing as well. I've yet to get into the rut of like, it's been a year and we've just been watching only this show. Things are varied enough. He's also really gotten into Spider-Man as of late because a new show, and again, this is why I talk about having readily available stuff uh, marketed to children is pretty awesome, even though Again, there's a lot of crap out there. Spidey and His Amazing Friends uh, is a like, pre-K marketed show that features Spider-Man and Miles Morales and Gwen Stacy. And like he is all in on Spider-Man now. We have so many little golden books about Spider-Man. We read him Spider-Man every night. He wants to be Spider-Man for Halloween. And so that's really awesome as well to, again, have him like fall in love with the properties that I love, but in very different ways to see that certain institutions have kept rolling through in a very different way than it was for me i'm really excited to like introduce him to the x-men when i was dealing with the 90s cartoons and he will obviously be dealing with it in a very different way
0: he definitely will i love that the kid has taste though because i feel like there's like the big three superheroes for like boys are like superman batman spider-man i was a spider-man kid yeah one of my good friends aaron was definitely a batman kid i'm like okay let me collect all the cool kids who are spider-man kids um uh, so but you you said you were uh an X-Man guy. Uh also, what was like early Mike Bloom into? Like what besides um Sesame Street and the X-Men? Uh what were what were your like some of your earliest introductions to media whether it be movies, TV shows, but also like books, music, plays. You're a theater kid.
1: I am I am a theater kid. The Valley. I go through my own patches where like I'll really be in love with musical theater. It's usually around the time of the Tonys, which is just such a celebration of theater where I'm like, oh yeah, let me watch, you know, 11 hour clips of people splicing together, like my best yassified moments on (laughs) musical theater where it's just the best ripping you had ever heard. So going back to a young me, I mean, I am a child of the nineties and I wouldn't necessarily call myself a latchkey kid, but I definitely would call myself raised by television. There are so many things I learned about the world just through taking stuff in through various shows and one show in particular, which I would have to say, and the reason why one of them you reached out to me about this entire project was I started watching The Simpsons at a pretty inappropriate age. I would probably say about like six, seven, maybe eight, maybe around nine, which given the subject matter, yeah, is definitely inappropriate. But there we go, holding up your Funko Pops and everything. Uh but I think that it was something that just by pure, you know, adjacency to the material being talked about, I learned so much about the world and so many subjects. Obviously a lot of stuff flew over my head. It ha- it did for about 20 years before you rewatch these episodes and realize all the random even like all the cum anti- jokes. All the cum jokes. All like the even like the antiquated like 1900s jokes they make about Mr. Burns and Grandpa. <laughs> you know, that goes over your head. That's what I love about The Simpsons as well, especially the classic years. They are immensely rewatchable. But I learned a lot through watching the show. There was a moment in what was for a while my favorite episode of the series, which was uh, Lisa's first word. There's a cutaway gag where Bart says, well, what's my first word? <laughs> and it cuts to him like walking in on his parents having sex. And he goes, "I caramba. And they're like, we don't really remember that. And I remember, like, turning to my parents, who I was watching this with, which makes it both better and worse, and being like, what are they talking about? And, like, that's when I got the talk, basically, was, okay, well, we could try to come up with some sort of fabricated fairy tale for this child, or we could just sort of tell it like it is. The other big moment of access for me was the episode Homer's Phobia, which was actually pretty foundational in retrospect as to, you know, LGBTQ plus representation on television. John Waters plays a character named John, who... Homer doesn't realize is gay about a third of the way through and then is dealing with, like, his sort of internalized and very much externalized homophobia, especially around, like, if his son hangs around him, will he be gay too? And I remember them mentioning the word homosexual, and, like, during the commercial break, I asked my parents, like, what does that mean? And that's where I got that talk as well. And so those that show is definitely... Probably the biggest access point I have, not only in terms of sense memories, like I have clear as day images of where I was when I watched certain moments, certain episodes in their first run, but also of something that obviously opened my mind to so, so many things, including adult animation. You know, I was watching the whole slate, even at that inappropriate age. I was watching The Critic, very underrated show. Go Jay Sherman. I was watching King of the Hill. I was watching the PJs. Like I was taking it all in because I was unabashedly in love with the art of animation. And on that note, I was doing a lot of Nickelodeon as well in Cartoon Network. Again, it was a really great time to be interested in television and to feel like you were in an appropriate age bracket to satisfy that. You know, Nickelodeon for me was the age of Rugrats and Doug and Ario Monsters and Hey Arnold, like what people are still considering the renaissance of the network. Cartoon Network had Ed and Anetti, and it had uh like Billy and Mandy, mm-hmm. had kids, Fosters. Ne- Fosters, yes, kids yes, next, next door. door. Like, that's that's more so, I think, the Nickelodeon stuff, I would say, was like mid to late two- th- uh, 1990s. This was like late 1990s to early 2000s. And then Disney Channel obviously didn't have like that type of stuff, but it had those sitcoms, yeah. right? Uh, which was... I felt like I was verging a little bit when I was getting to like Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, Wizards of Waverly Place territory. That's where I'm like, Selena Gomez looks like she could be like my little, little sister. I don't (laughs) know if I should be doing this anymore. But those were the three channels that I was just consistently tuned into. And then I would occasionally dote onto Fox to check out, you know, what's going on in that animated lineup. But that was pretty much my bread and butter for, I would conservatively say like the first 10 to 12 years of my life.
0: I related to a lot of what you were saying, like with the love of the Simpsons, one of my all time favorite movies and listen, it might be a polarizing take because it's later Simpsons, but the Simpsons movie Mm. came out on my 10th birthday to the date. It's about to be the 16th year anniversary. I remember where I was. I, all I wanted to do was see it. My dad had a work trip in Vancouver. So we were all there. And like my mom found a theater. We got there to the theater. It was sold out. I was heartbroken because uh, I want to see it on my birthday. So we went to like a TGI yeah. Fridays in the mall and then went back the next day. Um, we brought the big puff popcorn bucket home to uh, the Boston suburbs. Uh-huh. Um, so afterwards, so I love The Simpsons. Like definitely, uh, I think uh, it was also an introduction to like Family Guy. And I feel like we have similar TV upbringings, just yeah. like maybe like, some years differentiated like maybe right, like exactly. and there's a little bit of bleed over hated, because
1: again you know. I was very much like overstaying my welcome yeah. when it came to as I was
0: as well shows. Well, like my brother I was definitely watching shows that were for him he's six years younger than me and then even afterwards I was like overstaying my welcome with certain shows once we got to like the end of Good Luck Charlie that's when I kind of like tapped out of like the Disney Channel Austin I mean, and to be, to
1: be fair you're like listen we've got a good thing yeah. going why stop yeah. now uh, you know you're doing what, exactly what you shouldn't be doing in a casino which is like nope I've got a hot hand let me keep riding this
0: And I'm assuming like you as well, you started discovering other things that like led you away from like your bread and butter of your upbringing. So like whether for me, it was like the Drake and Josh, the iCarly, that stuff, uh, these shows Then I found Glee and soon after Lost. And Mm -hmm. that's a show that we have in common that like Mm -hmm. kind of like changed. And for me also like reality TV, I got into it late in the game. But um, in terms of like the besides the animated content, like were there other like childhood movies like were you a disney movie kid at all or like huge
1: disney movie kid again i count myself very lucky in that i was the main target audience for the disney renaissance the first movie i ever saw in the theaters was aladdin which was a pretty dang big movie for me even after i like became of an age where i could actually digest the movie rather than when i was brought when i was two and probably had no idea what was going on i couldn't follow the plot whatsoever was my review of age (laughs) two mike bloom Uh, Because, I've talked about this before, one of the people whose life and unfortunately death has had a profound effect on who I am and how I regard myself and my own brain is Robin Williams. And his genie character was eye-opening for me in a way that I didn't even realize of, okay, this is a character who talks a mile a minute, who doesn't stop talking. Who does a bunch of stupid silly voices and pop culture references and who just is a freight train that doesn't necessarily care about what it runs into and i feel like that's for a long time and even still to this day how my brain thinks sometimes where it is just hopping consistently from topic to topic and always looking ahead to just jump to the next sentence and and keep moving along in whatever train of thought might be happening And so it helped that he was part of, in my opinion, the funniest Disney movie, maybe besides Emperor's New Groove. I I think now that I look back, I think Beauty and the Beast is probably a better movie. But Aladdin was something that hooked me so, so much. I also, and this will get into, I think, some of my other shows that I engaged into and one that you mentioned earlier... As someone who was living with like this immense amount of anxiety and depression, but didn't necessarily know it. I guess that's one of the downside of living in the 90s is that thing was not at the forefront of discussion as of yet was not normalized in the least. And so I was very much in my feels. And so like anything that felt remotely serious or did not have a happy ending was like something I stayed far away from so that's why i really glommed onto cartoons which are going to do that even something like the simpsons which is obviously more mature but always seemed to wrap things up i very much got into tgif as well i got into like the latter day seinfeld was really on the board with friends checked out every other show that was offered alongside them like caroline in the city and just shoot me and i kept dramas away from me with a 100 foot pole because With my constitution, my brain was dealing with so much mental ebb and flow, it could only take so much, and the load would have been overwhelmed if I had to watch a show that, like, sat with me and really brought me to a place that would have been very, very dark. Even by myself, I felt like I was dipping my toes into those waters. I was standing on the shore and having those waves lap at my feet, I felt like if I were to engage with that type of serious content, even from a cartoon perspective, like the Hunchback of Notre Dame, or even something like Beauty and the Beast, which tackles darker, more serious things, I felt like a wave would have swallowed me whole.
0: I appreciate you sharing all that. And like, thank you for being open with your uh, experiences. Um, I can relate to some of that as well, because I know I was a kid who very much, I mean, Brother Bear, I watched that and it destroyed (laughs) me. Like I remember, I was eight years old. I remember where I was, and I just like started sobbing because like his best friend killed his mom. Like spoilers for Brother Bear, like a twenty year old movie, but like it was heartbreaking and that like destroyed me. But like I can do like some heavier stuff, but it needs to end happy. Like I love a happy ending. See, that's Um, the
1: thing is that there are surprising pieces of pop culture that I was totally fine with. That in retrospect, I don't know how I got through. We had Homeward Bound: The Incredible Journey on video cassette, and everyone talks about how traumatizing that movie is. Brave Little Toaster as well, and I'm like, no, it's fine. They were okay in the end. The You're the Mike Bloom got-
0: meme laughing at the Malcolm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the
1: pets, the pets found their owners. The master found his derelict appliances. Like everything's good yeah. at the end. That I think I obfuscated a lot of like the genuinely sad shit that happened between the beginning and end of those movies.
0: I was a Winnie the Pooh kid, so like a lot of those Winnie the Pooh movies have like this sad, sad moment in the middle, like the search for Christopher Robin, when he's like, "Where are you, Christopher Robin?" He sings this beautiful song to the moon. I think that's the best Disney song out there. Um, Wherever you are, especially the pop version is a banger. I miss those '90s pop R and B ballad versions from the credits. Oh
1: yeah, I miss yeah, like Michael Bolton singing
0: "A Whole New World." People, Bryson, where's he at? He's not doing anything, right? Yeah.
1: Well, and the other thing as well though is that it can always there's always a limit. Like I distinctly remember i could not do an american tale because i could understand if to your point there's like a portion of the movie where something dark happens but this was just dominoes upon dominoes of crapping upon poor Fivel that it just caused me so much anxiety all the near misses they had you know somewhere out there is a beautiful song but it's just absolutely gutting like that was something that i remember initially watching and just being like no no nope cannot do so again there's always a limit even for the swiss cheese brain of a seven i think
0: i was older when i watched american tail it must've been like 12 or 13 same thing with iron giant cuz i don't remember being super sad like mm-hmm. i don't remember like if i rewatched iron giant yeah, It's I fine. probably would remember all the space. he saved the yeah, day yeah. nothing
1: sad about that harry connick juniors there it's a good old time but uh it's it's these sad
0: moments like really stick with you that's why i also do even as an adult like i gravitate like i think elmo's one of the top 10 comedians of our lifetime um i
1: I mean were you so happy when he became like the the man of january with the rock i i was
0: on that shit early into the pandemic i had seen those youtube videos i had seen elmo singing africa i had seen elmo um with the rock like i had seen like all the (laughs) clips and then it blew up on tiktok like eight, nine months later, and I was like, I should have put it on Elmo Talk, yep, I should have been on this, I should have been the one to post it, because I could have gone viral, but um, same thing, like, uh, there's, like, this line from uh, Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, Mm -hmm. where it's, like, deception, disgrace, and I was, like, this is a perfect TikTok sound, and then I never used it, and then it blew up, like, later on, I was, like,
1: Look at uh, this. You're like the Nikola Tesla of good TikTok memes. Like, you're able to do these things, but you're not able to bring them to fruition for right. whatever reasons. You're not getting shut down by like any patent bullshit, though. It's just your own, like, <laughs> oh, Holidious. there's this other thing I have to work on. Yeah. Because, like you
0: mentioned, like, I last year actually, Penn Holderness is the reason I got diagnosed with ADHD because wow. he was talking about it. And I was like, I've related to this. And then I brought it up to my therapist. She's like, this makes sense. Let's, let's explore this. And then my psychiatrist started putting me on medication. And she's like, okay, yeah, we're, we're going to- That's
1: incredible. Uh, and again, like, that speaks to what we were saying before about had he not opened up about this yeah. and normalized what has been stigmatized through like, I'm assuming your own learning experiences, your own educational experiences, where I'm assuming you were deemed like a trouble child because you couldn't yeah. necessarily pay attention. Like, had he not done that, you would not have pursued that. And it's 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 wild how the things that can inspire us. I mean, I've talked about this before, but a vastly important moment in my life was watching the Bojack Horseman episode, Stupid Piece of Shit, where the entire thing is like Bojack's inner monologue just absolutely beating the hell out of himself with everything. And it's very well done. It's like these crude, you know, hand-drawn scribbles representing you know his inner voice but i remember leaving that episode and thinking is this strange doesn't everyone have this voice that's consistently judging them and criticizing them and then i realized no that's not the case
0: it's it's incredible like what media can represent like both the reality sphere which i'm sure we'll discuss um but imagine as well like <laughs> <laughs> We're just like, what's reality TV like? That's that's stuff still on, like being those like losers. I know. That, I would like, love if we talked for
1: like an hour and a half about just how much we love animation. Be like, oh, I forgot right. something. Oh crap! Like the Kevin McAllister is reality TV. At the end of the day,
0: I think it would be hilarious. Honestly, kind of want to do that for the memes, but I don't also want to actually ask you about reality TV. So um, the 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 curious kid in me. Want, we'll get to that in a second, but uh also like growing up a lot of it was like my ocd was like at the forefront of like Mm. my anxiety disorder so like that was diagnosed early on but then they were also like he's very hyperactive what's going on so like they put me like to take a lot of tests and only recently were they like confident it's like okay it's adhd and ocd and sometimes they like are not kind to each other and like (laughs) uh so that's like i feel like that aspect of these last this last year has been very clarifying for me personally on my journey yeah but uh that's like another way that media can shape you. And that's why I also I, like, identify with like the Bart Simpsons, the Elmo, like the, the chaos Muppets, if you will.
1: <laughs> that's an incredible category that I now want to draft every show from like who is the chaos muppet of succession it is roman roy but we know that yes. who is the chaos well, muppet of each show
0: well, actually like ironically succession i don't identify with roman roy i identify more with the kendall roy because of the depression and the like anxiety that he oh, has. I thought it was more so
1: the rapping that you've done oh i
0: love rapping lisa leslie uh 63 something something come on <laughs> the very niche reference for the girlies that know
1: that was great for again my nation sports engagement. I'm like, well, I know the LA Clippers because of that one song that Boy George wrote on The Celebrity <laughs> Apprentice in 2015. That was the Arnold
0: Schwarzenegger one, right?
1: Yeah, the yes. one Arnold Schwarzenegger season.
0: Love it. Um, but that was that was a very interesting time capsule uh, between that and Megan Z playing QBZ. Like I like that is like a core sense of like RHAP podcast memories that I have. Like these little like moments um This is also like, I feel like a very fun discussion for me because like my brain, it's ping-ponging all over the place. Like we're going inside. I'm matching you, man. I'm
1: batting that ball right back, dude. Let's go all over the place.
0: Um, So you mentioned all these animated stuff. Um, You Mm -hmm. also mentioned one of your comedy heroes, if it's Mm -hmm. okay for me to say, Robin Williams. Yeah. Also in that same vein, like someone else that like when you were mentioning, I knew it was Robin Williams. And I was like, this also is apt for Howard Ashman because you're a musical theater kid um not to the same extent as like your Robin Williams um like fascination growing up I'm sure but like the like this like kind of these two figures that are a big part of Aladdin also encapsulate different aspects of you because like you have an improv and a theater background and um that's also like I mean this is kind of where I had like your comedy um your full bloom your euphemisms love like so uh where did this all stem from like uh, while you were watching uh, you mentioned TGIF but like Were you a Who's Line kid?
1: Oh, I loved (laughs) Who's Line. That was something that really hooked me because I had never seen improv before. And that was, I think for a lot of people, really gained a lot of mainstream access as to, oh, you could just like make shit up and play games. And so I actually met my wife because we founded an improv group at our school, the very first one to exist there. And so that was like a really nice way into me figuring out that I could do it as well. So obviously, I'm someone who loves to perform. I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of goofiness to me. And so I have always really enjoyed making people happy, to be completely honest. Like, that's what gives me enjoyment. It's not exactly healthy. Because as we spoke about before, when people are not necessarily happy with your content, that, ergo, does not make you happy. But when they're happy, I'm happy. And for a long time, I did theater in particular. I think I'm just too big of a person not in stature whatsoever in terms of just like energy level to do tv or film I never felt quite right with it I did like some student films uh but it just it didn't ever felt quite right so theater was where I felt I'm a loud ass motherfucker and so like I had that projecting voice don't need a body mic on this mic but I remember I I got a degree in theater in college but I remember slowly but surely as things were going along I was becoming a bit tired with the repetition of rehearsal, if I'm being completely honest, with going in and rehearsing the same scene, the same show, the same numbers over and over and over again. My brain, as percolated as it was, was starting to get like a little stale of it. And so improv, which I did all four years of college, and then I did, you know, throughout, I'd say, the next like, five years after that recreationally in New York was something that I always had of, okay, no matter what, how I may be feeling, what I've been cast in, what I have to do, uh, you know, my method having to like do that type of serious actor stuff, I can go goof around and make up really stupid shit with my friends. And so that was something I fell more and more into to the point where When I ended up, again, leaving being a full-time actor and started getting into like a full-time job, I happened to get into podcasting at the same time. But I also started taking classes at UCB, which I didn't have the time to do being a full-time actor. And also I had, honestly, some more disposable income uh, to be able to do it as well. And it was nice to have that structure too. And and to get to like do things like those festivals uh, and to also balance it with podcasting as well. I say a lot how improv taught me a lot about podcasting and vice versa, where obviously, you know, the brand steals that I get to do, which is a simulation of a survivor, big brother, et cetera, season, is basically all improv. And I would not nearly be able to do it whatsoever were it not for the teachings, the trainings, the hilariously funny people that I happen to be in orbit of during my time in the comedy scene. You know, I, it just feels so natural to me to play in that space. And then inversely, when I was doing improv, the more I got into podcasting, and as I mentioned before, the more I started to, like, become more confident with my own voice and, to be honest, speaking for uninterrupted amounts of time, the more I would be able to do that, Of uh, no matter what the character is, to, like, speak with confidence, to have a point of view, to come up with, like, cockamamie things to say or ways to take Things and feel sure about it rather than like throwing something out there and saying, Is this anything? And so it was so interesting to see the two feed into each other for quite some time. And even so to this day.
0: It's so interesting to me because I feel like I'm very much at a point where I am, where you were at this time period because mm-hmm. I told you in the pre show, I've been doing stand up, taking some classes. Yeah. And when I moved out to LA, I kept telling myself for like about a year that I was going to do like some sort of class, whether it's acting, improv, uh, stand up and then I finally pushed myself to do it and now like I'm at a point with stand up where I love it and I want to keep writing and going to open mics. But I feel like I want to do one more class because I love the teacher that I have um and I want to do one more class with her. Um, But I also like want to try improv. Like honestly I kept putting improv off but improv was the one that first spoke to me until I started meeting some friends who were doing stand up and then I got free tickets to an intensive Uh, But improv was the one that spoke to me the most because I'm like, I do podcasting and I feel like I would become a better podcaster because of improv, just like being more confident and going off the cuff. And I think stand up has helped me a little bit because like being on stage, playing off the crowd sometimes. And I can also relate to what you said about like, you like performing, you like making people happy. And like, there is such a rush when you have the showcase and then people laugh at a joke that you've been working hard on. Um, Yeah, it's
1: really awesome. And I will say as well, in terms of improv, it has made me such a better listener. Because if you do not listen in improv, the scene will absolutely tank. You will be Michael Scott with Ken Jong, you know, (laughs) holding the gun during the fortune telling scene. And so it allowed me to focus less on like, okay, what am I going to say next? What point do I have prepared? And to actually keep my ears open, because usually the response I'll have to what somebody says in the moment is inherently more interesting than me trying to prepare something. And then that ended up leading really nicely into me stumbling into this career as a journalist as well, where I had been podcasting for a while and a colleague of mine who is a great friend and I would say, honestly, the brother I never had in Josh Wiggler had been Vacating his post at, you know, parade and was he knew I was like interested in journalism or trying to get more into interviewing because I just love talking with people. I love talking, but I love talking with people as well. And I thought, OK, I love just having conversations with people, you know, and digging deep into everything from their personal standpoint, strategic standpoint, et cetera. I also love reality TV. Can the two mix in some way? And I'd seen people like Josh be able to do it in the past. And so being able to also hone in on that listening skill is obviously something I developed even more in my journalism career, but wouldn't have started me on that path were it not for improv, where it just really forces you. Yes. You feel the most naked you ever will be on stage, unless you're doing some sort of avant-garde fringe piece where you literally are naked of all i have i the only there's no script there's no costumes no props the only thing i have to rely on is my own dumb brain but it makes you rely so much more on your instincts and i have felt, i felt i've sharpened a lot of my instincts as a journalist just by going back to those skills of talking listening going off of that maybe definitely having a point of things to refer to but just like having things naturally flow in that way to make the conversation feel natural as well.
0: It's a hard craft to master, but I feel like you've really grown as a journalist. Like, oh, thank it, you. It, it's, uh, I remember something you've discussed on podcasts was like the Big Brother 24 stuff and how that was scary to call people out yeah. uh, But or call people in as well. Uh, but uh, you really did a great job and uh, I'm sure mm-hmm. that was like very overwhelming to like have to be like, listen, we got things to talk about. Yeah, uh, that was
1: tough because, again, I am a lighter person. You know, I, I hope that the tone I usually welcome in people with is one of joviality of like, we're just going to have a fun time. We're going to chit chat. We're going to shoot the shit that I, I like trying to provide not a sense of informality, but I think of comfort because that's when people usually open up. If they're coming in with their set talking points, they're going to naturally put up a wall. I want to try to create an environment, especially when they feel like they're talking to such a large crowd of reality tv fans foaming at the mouth for the right answers of just it's you and me right now let's let's make this scene go let's be scene partners right now in this improv and we'll respond to each other we'll work off each other we'll have some fun and so yeah to your point much like i revert back to my seven-year-old self it becomes difficult when i have to get serious when i have to especially refer to topics where i am able to exercise my privilege in that i am a member of the press but i am from a very privileged community as a cis straight white male but i have to speak to racism sexism homophobia things that were not necessarily perpetuated against me but i know profoundly affect so many people that i care about and it's a lot to go in and feel like okay did i do a good enough job trying to represent those people. And as we've spoken about in the beginning, it's not going to satisfy everybody, but I will again say I was so happily overwhelmed by the response that I got, especially people from those minoritized communities who felt like we did not get a voice in that room. So thank you for sort of being that conduit, for letting those people know on our behalf. And it also made me feel a lot more confident that, okay, I can press feet to the fire a bit more. It doesn't necessarily have to be casual all the time. It can be business casual at points. And I feel like I have been able to do that a bit more ever since then in the past year, that's already been a year of feeling comfortable to press people on some things to feel comfortable, to take them to those spots. Even when it comes to talking about like, not even, you know, obviously details of discrimination, but like talking about very sad traumatic moments in their lives. I've gotten so fortunately lucky that I've been able to interview reality TV contestants before the season and they're in a very pressurized, vulnerable state. And sometimes having to come in there and be like, well, you said on your bio that this thing happened to you, talk to me about it. It's a very difficult thing to do. And so the way I try to approach things is to try to present my own tone At the top that i am hopefully a friendly face not a pretty face but at least a friendly one to talk talk about my
0: friend like mike bloom like
1: that oh thank you yeah tune out those negative comments but to try to bring people in with that you know softer more genial congenial approach so that we can feel comfortable enough to get into that stuff and know from their perspective that they feel trusted enough to do so again there are exceptions where people Need to be called out on their shit, especially in reality TV where they are representing a version of themselves. But at the same time, I feel like, honestly, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar.
0: And as someone who was kind of detached, but like I saw that your uh, articles were specifically like seeping through like the generic, like every article will like make its way out there. But like this one was like, I saw a lot more people like. Commenting and, like, showing up for you and, like, uh, giving you the respect for going and having these tough conversations. Which which, is uh,
1: surreal to me, by the way. Like, it is so incredibly surreal that I get to do any of this. I grew up reading Dalton Ross's Survivor interviews and recaps every single week. And now, like, he and I get to interview together. He and I get to shoot the shit about the industry. Like, it is... I am incredibly lucky in so also, many ways. I'm so grateful.
0: First of all, congrats! It's
1: so cool. Like, thank uh, you.
0: And it's also like you've gotten to interview not just reality stars. You have interviewed like actors from like probably movies that you have loved. Like, I remember when uh, The Traders was coming on. You had that interview with Alan Cumming. You're like, I interviewed Nightcrawler. Is what I would have thought. I don't know if that's what you thought, but
1: I, the <laughs> first time my theater kid was MC from Cabaret, okay. but Nightcrawler was a number yeah. two. Though I'd heard a story where. I heard this on a podcast, actually a Simpsons podcast, where someone had, like, seen him in cabaret and brought a DVD of X2 to sign, and he, like, apparently rolled his eyes. So, like, I don't know if he regards Nightcrawler in the same way that, like, Hugh Jackman regards Wolverine of, like, I will happily embrace this. It seems like he's the type of person to maybe move on from that.
0: Well, he just put out his best role as Trader's host. <laughs> like, that was full camp. Yeah
1: um yeah but that was that was like a, yeah. a truly wild moment to be sitting here being like i get to talk to this person and granted it is about a reality show but like i got to interview james marsden for <laughs> jury duty before it ended up really popping off but to like sit there and have this conversation and feel like we're, we're sort of batting things back and forth and and you know having a true conversation about things it's really a pinch me moment in so many ways and getting to interview even some like my reality tv icons the people that mm-hmm. i have been watching for such a long time, and actually getting to have a conversation with them, to get to know them, and especially in one very, very big case, to become a dear friend and work alongside for for so many years, I I do not know how I ended up here, but I count my lucky stars every single. I count the lucky constellations, yeah. the galaxies, the universe is so many things happen to go in this way and I am not taking it for granted whatsoever to your point Felipe thank you for those compliments one of the reasons why I think I approach things the way I do is because I am a fan first yeah of all the stuff that I talk about I am a fan first I don't I'm very lucky in that parade does not necessarily give me the like well you have to talk to this person about this type of show that you wouldn't or movie that you wouldn't be even into like every interview I do and maybe this is my own backwards engineering. I try to have at least a little bit of passion going into either about the person, the project, etc. And so that makes me base my questions from a place of passion rather than from, to your point and with no you know, offense to maybe some fellow publications, but coming in with the more generic questions of like, oh, you did this, explain this, trying to come in f- with very different questions, A, because we know people don't want to read the same answer to the same question five times in a row. But then also try to think about things from my own perspective. If I was a fan, which I am, but what would I want to know? What were things that I would want to bring up? And initially, again, it felt a bit more crowdsourced to try to look at, okay, what questions were people asking and, and try to you know credit them, obviously, but, but fit them into my own questioning before I realized my own confidence in my voice and saying, yeah, I could ask these questions and feel like I've gotten a lot of topics covered in the interim.
0: It's... So cool what you get to do, and like it's so cool seeing your journey because, like, I believe this is like also the five year anniversary or six year or something. It's like been a a couple years since you've been, like, it was HHH that you started. Yeah, so I
1: started during Survivor 35, which is celebrating its six year anniversary this fall. So, uh, also the first
0: time we met in person was at the know it alls, and also the first time I met one of my good friends who, uh, has big things coming for him, is what I'll say.
1: Uh, yeah, Well, I, it's so interesting because I actually think what I did was I was being warmed up into taking over Josh Wiggler's role. So I had done an interview with Zeke, which yeah. is sort of like a full circle thing because that was a very weighty interview. Uh, for those that don't know, Zeke was outed on national television as a trans man, a, pretty much against his will. Uh, but he was someone I had become friendly with over the course of his two seasons. And so like Josh was so good in saying, okay, this is the one that I want you to do, that this is almost like what I try to do for other people, where Zeke was the friendly face now, sort of helping me lead through this kind of nerve-wracking situation. The first official season of reality TV I covered was Big Brother 19 in the summer. And so that fall, but that also honestly was something I felt I could cut my teeth on relatively, because that also was an example of like, some bad shit went down there and trying to figure that out and figure out my own voice was very essential for me and big brother again it has a kind of shit show value to it if we're being completely honest so again that joviality can be brought into it a bit more but that was really important to me that by the time survivor came around i was like okay Listen, I know my way big brother back and forwards, but like Survivor was what I was brought on to do. So now I feel adequate to handle it. So yeah, it's been it's been more than five years since I've really started to do this thing. And the time has flown would be an understatement. It has wild like a 747.
0: I like like when you said that you started in 2014. I was like, no way, because I remember I where I was when I like listened to my first Mike Bloom podcast and I was like in high school still. Uh, oh no no,
1: the wrinkles are growing on me as you say that (laughs) not
0: at all mike you wear too much sunscreen for that
1: (laughs) i I, listen i'm a very fair skin person so that is valid i'm basically just my epidermis is basically sunscreen at this point (laughs) it's just been soaked into my skin naturally i'm very oily (laughs) like i can be a human slip and slide essentially you
0: could be, you could be the tapestry that they slide on this season for Big Brother.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, just lay down and walk on me, Daddy and Mommy. I suppose. Uh,
0: that would be some Big Brother Nine energy.
1: Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, listen, but also listen, something that is recurring in Big Brother is lurid sexual activities. No matter what, no matter how semi-public the setting is, in so many ways, not only living in a house with people, but having your actions filmed at all times. There are urges that happen. It just sometimes happens in a grandiose way, like Big Brother Nine, or it happens in small, short bursts of ten seconds, like last year. <laughs>
0: yep, uh, David and Amanda for Big Brother Game Changers. Oh boy! I mean, listen, yeah,
1: they changed games and they changed out of clothes fast. They sure did. Uh, but I, I, I know
0: you ask this question regularly on the uh, BNB, but. What is your survivor and big brother and amazing race origin story? I, yeah, I like think we discussed it, but like is it the Gretchen episode, the famous Gretchen episode? It was the week before. So okay. very
1: close. Very close. Yeah, for those that don't know, uh, the, the Survivor B and B which I do with the incredible liana Boris. i don't know how she's been putting up with me for more than five years doing that because uh, that's also celebrating its anniversary i suppose with survivor also like
0: respectfully like liana is a woman of science like she is doing amazing things and she comes and decompresses by goofing off with you like she
1: is saving lives literally she is an unbelievable person she's incredibly smart in her capacity to also be creative and goofy while on top of to your point doing like incredibly brainy work that I could not even get near is just showing how amazing of a person she is. And it also helps that like, she's an amazing person even outside of that as well. But reality TV was so interesting in my own television journey, because like I said, for the first 10, 11 years of my life, I was so devoutly like no bummers, you know, I only want happy endings. And then, (laughs) I mean, I wish I would have happy endings, uh, the show. That's the show I'm speaking okay. about. May hey, rest in peace. Uh, but I, I remember, like a lot of people, I was like, I guess I'll check out Survivor in the summer of 2000. I came on in episode six. I'd obviously heard about what had happened the weeks before. I did not watch the first five episodes until they reaired season one in the fall because it was such a mega hit. But for the first time in my life, Felipe. I fell in love with drama. Now, this was a very different type of drama. Obviously, that it was certainly had a veneer over it, but by and large, especially that first season, it was not produced in the least. It's as real as the show could get in terms of verisimilitude. All the ums and uhs and less than salacious moments were put in there, and I found my, I found myself obsessed with specifically the competition element people ask me what types of reality shows i'm into and i have never been into you know i'm not a bravo lebs guy i was not in e i don't know kardashian empire type of guy either i don't really did you dabble
0: in... in the real world at all
1: so i did dabble in that? the real world i did do that a little bit but it was partially because i would watch the challenge <laughs> and i'm like yeah. let me get to know who karomo is let me know who landon is but What's so interesting is I I tend to shy away from non-competition reality shows. Like, I need to see an elimination at the end of each episode. And so it's so interesting, again, that the first 10 years of my life, I was like, I don't want to see anybody unhappy. I don't want to see people fighting with each other. Cut to me falling so much in love with reality television, which is purely that. That's what the genre is known for for good and for bad. And so I will it always is, wave
0: my finger in your face is exactly. So it is,
1: I mean, one of the first 50 million people watched a woman say, if you were dying of thirst in the desert, I would not give you a drink of water. I basically had let you die because you voted me out. Like that is arguably the pinnacle of reality TV drama. And for some reason, this was the very large exception to my rule that I, it was like, you know, uh, being deprived of candy and then like having a Reese's peanut butter cup for the first time where my taste buds just lifted. My head was spinning. My energy level was through the roof, which even speaking for me is a lot. It was something that obviously none of us had really experienced before saying something like the real world. And it was something that I was immediately hooked on. So I am like a pseudo day one person from that perspective on survivor again, week six. So you know, day one and change. Day one on Big Brother. I did not make it all the way through that first season because, woof.
0: I've seen the whole season, but I did watch a lot of the episodes on 2X or sometimes 3X.
1: Yeah, back in my day, we didn't have that. We had the fast forward button on our VCR. but, it, but- It's such
0: an interesting season I feel like there should be something like you can skip like around the 50 to 70 episodes like <laughs> like skip to episode 50 when like George tries to stage the walkout I feel like that's such a fascinating moment of reality tv yeah that we don't discuss because like that show is like not what the show is now but yeah. uh, that was I, I did, like my I, biggest takeaway in like discussing production and how the show is made and like the like experiment aspects of it I feel like it was so yeah. fascinating
1: I totally agree especially now getting to look at new shows as well like a claim to fame. Obviously, I became obsessed with Outlast on Netflix because it really did harken back to those initial days of Survivor, of Big Brother, specifically of, okay, we create the rules. We have the template and we're going to just behave in the ways that we want to to get the check at the end of the day. And like, What does that say about the human condition and the idea of building a group, building a society or lack thereof? So Big Brother, I initially watched dropped off of i actually didn't watch a lot of two i really came on during big brother three that's Ama- my favorite
0: season i mean so, it, good it, choice it's
1: so near and dear to my heart uh but then amazing race i was really into from the very beginning which is interesting because i am not a travel person whatsoever again one of the reasons why i felt like i was raised by pop culture is because i didn't really travel a lot when i was a kid if i did it was like down the east coast I think Maryland was the furthest south I had gone in the first 10 years of my life and so getting to see all these places around the globe and also bring in Lenny and Karen you know the fighting couple Frank and Margarita the divorcees that were just trying to make it work to Joe and Bill like one of the first gay couples seen on television to see them in front of my screen telling their stories that isn't representative of every one of their type stories but opening my eyes certainly was so cool to watch. And so the big three, as I like to call it, of CBS are things that I have been watching since the very beginning. Other shows like Top Chef, I think I got into around season three, I want to say. I would say the latest show that I really missed the boat on that would have been right up my alley, and I don't know how I wasn't able to access it beforehand. Maybe it's because of the channel it was on for so long was RuPaul's Drag Race. I didn't start watching it until 2016. Yeah. Uh, and so that was definitely a V8 moment. Where has this show been all of my life? It is reality TV combined with the theatrics of Drag Race. And oftentimes they do. These campy acting challenges as well. It's not only about lip syncs and fashion. Two areas of which I am not experienced in whatsoever. But I really love that as well. Like the to see the genre grow and morph. Too from both the competition and non-competition side yes there are a lot of survivor big brother clones out there trying to capitalize on what has come beforehand but then you get a claim to fame then you get an outlast then you get a traitors, where this is a fantastic renaissance almost of original concepts being brought back and showing that the format is not dead as long as you have good game designers and very passionate people behind it
0: it's so wild that like, it took like, I've been playing mafia since I was like eight years old, at least it's so wild that it took like almost like 18 years since I first played mafia for like someone to try to put it on TV. Um, at least, or maybe like less if you count like the internationals, but traders was such a breath of fresh air for like me. Uh, I, I am so happy for the success of all these shows that I love. Yeah. But also like, I'm also finding myself like, this is like lacking a little bit of like this, the like OG, uh, like stakes of like human drama because now it's so game focused, which is like a great thing because I do love the game aspects. There's a fly on my screen. I'm trying to kick it away, <laughs> but um, that's my ADHD brain being like, get- <laughs> stopping big conversation. But um, I really like, I'm so happy for the success, but it's also, I miss the human drama. And like, I literally uh, was so moved by like some of the stuff from the traders, like the betrayal it felt so raw and human as opposed to, like, these games, like, there's a lack of, like, everyone's a little too, like, hyper fixated on it being a game that they're, they don't let themselves get hurt. And it's like, no, it's okay to be hurt that these people betrayed you. Like, it uh, it's not, it's not a chess game. This is, your human emotions are valid. Like, uh, I cried when Jesse lost.
1: Yeah, like, it, it's tough. Uh, and that speaks to a number of things. Number one, like, the fantastic amount of diversity that has come out in the recent years as well. And the fact that more stories are being told, which is only a positive, in my opinion. But I could understand it from contestants perspectives where it felt like for so long, the internet would make fun of the criers, Mm -hmm. right. Of the people who were angry or who were sad when they were eliminated that like, now, even if you are somebody who is a big fan and feels legitimately heartbroken in the moment that they're still like, Oh, it's a good game. I feel like I have to say that because I'm going to get chastised on the internet. If I stage any sort of emotional reaction to it, even though they very much have one. But I I do feel like hopefully things are swinging back around that almost like what I talked about in the beginning, that the more polish you have on your character as a reality TV contestant, honestly, the less appealing you come off mm-hmm. nowadays. Because of social media, I think we have such an eye, such a lens for like when people are putting something on that it feels so disingenuous. So now it's kind of come back around where the way you need to sort of make yourself appealing to people in the best way is to be yourself. Can you imagine if Carolyn from survivor 44, like felt she had to stymie herself in any way from a personality perspective. She's like, well, I can't emotionally react in this way because this is what the internet will think of me. Then we won't get one of the biggest fan favorite characters that the show has ever seen in 20 plus years. And so I hope that's the lesson that people are taking. And I think it's what they are hopefully appearing on these shows is I can understand The concern and the little voice in the back of your head thinking, what will Twitter think of what I'm about to do? But at the same time, if you're consistently thinking with that voice, it's actually going to limit you more from expressing who you are in what may be your only opportunity to have this space.
0: Yeah, you got uh, you got to go for it like when you're there. Um, and two things I want to add to what you just said. So I was talking to Kevin McLean on the phone yesterday. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were having a good conversation, and something that we were discussing was how appreciative we were of like Jam Jam with the fire teaching Carson how to make the fire and being a supportive friend and like showing his human side more than his gameplay side and willing to take the the fall for it and then still like it worked out for him in the end but like i'm so grateful that we got to see that human connection and just to follow up like what would twitter think one of my favorite stories to watch was carson who normally i feel like a lot of these archetypes show up and they're like let me be like this like tv presence that like i feel like i need to be and i feel like he started that way but something that i noticed my experience watching 44 was like a little bit each week, he would become more himself and more authentic to who he was. And he became one of my favorites of the season, like, for many people, sure. But, like, for me, like, who generally is against rooting for this archetype, I was, like, rooting for them. And also, I love Jam Jam and Carolyn, of course. So it helps that, like, their alliance yeah. was so likable. But well I and feel that's like the he thing- was becoming more himself on the show and letting go of, like, who he felt like he needed to be.
1: That's a really great point. A, I think it comes in as an inevitability in those types of shows where you're so broken down mentally physically i believe carson also revealed that like he like had mono for the entirety of 44 so he just his brain might just say like yeah i can't put the veneer on top of all the other shit we have to manage right now including not having your spleen rupture over the course of the game but i absolutely agree and i think the other thing as well is specifically with his archetype which let's face it is usually cast to like consistently talk about how much they love Survivor. I agree that whether it was sort of my own Mandela effect of seeing it or not once it was less about Carson speaking about how much he loved Survivor and more about who he was as a person that became infinitely more compelling mm-hmm. to me. Uh because I could again I could understand and I can understand why the show would want to put it in. And I especially understand when you cast young people like they kind of make their survivor their personality. I know if I was cast when I was 21 years old, like, I don't blame them. I was so obsessed with the show that I would make it my entire personality, basically, especially if I was on said show. But I think you also need to look at the fact that they're not just casting you for your love for it, that clearly you have an interesting personality, you're very well-spoken, you have comedy, you have drama to you, and you have an interesting life story. And I think the more people... Remember that, especially in things like confessionals when they're speaking to it. And I could not agree with you more. I adored Jam Jam teaching Carson Fire because honestly, that is what has kept my own love of the genre going for 20 plus years, even through the bad. I'm not a smart person. I don't think so good about. Talk badly about yourself. Oh, God, this little voice keeps coming back. I don't think so good about (laughs) strategy, or at least it's not at the forefront of the mind for me. I'm more focused on what the people are making me feel in the moment. And it, it makes me feel like getting to see things about the human condition, and especially those moments that you speak about where there is this crossroads of like, do I do something that will help my game versus something that will make me feel good about my friend? And those are some of the most interesting moments that I've seen in the show because it feels so relatable. I mean, we've seen so many times a vote being split or like a very specific strategy being played out, but we haven't seen a scene like Jam Jam helping Carson, despite the fact that Carson is his biggest threat because he just didn't want to see him suffer in that moment. And I think it also helps bring us into their experience a little bit. I mean, say what you want to understandably so about how maybe Hackney, the idea of this show being a journey and a learning experience is sort of beaten into us in the edit, but I think getting to see it at at all is better than nothing, which it used to be back in the day where some seasons are so game focused that we don't see how much people are having their own revelatory life changing experiences out there. And not everyone necessarily needs to. It doesn't need to be shoehorned in perhaps in the ways that it has recently, but I'm so glad moments like that don't get left on the cutting room floor because like those are genuinely natural beautiful moments that harken back to those early days to display who we are as humans and that says more about jam jam as a person honestly than any game move he made the entire season
0: Holy, agree 100 um and uh it's also interesting to think this is another discussion point that kevin and i had that like in the early seasons, like the people that I was most fascinated by were the strategists because that was kind of like the uh, against the grain. And now the yeah. people I'm most fascinated by are the more humans, uh, hu- like the more, not, they're all humans, but like the more, the more like personal, like yeah. uh, authentic characters, uh, if you're looking at it through a story and that's like oftentimes how I know Kevin looks at it for sure. But like me as someone who's like, went to film school, went to film and TV Uh, wanted to like work in this industry like I oftentimes think of like characters and storylines and uh but even as a fan like I also love the sociological aspects but it's just such a beautiful encapsulation like there's the game which makes my brain excited there's a there's all these different moving pieces that like is why I love reality tv and even if I don't love modern survivor the way I love like a token cheese or a china or like these like pinnacle seasons heroes versus villains panama like these character driven seasons um I also always love survivor and big brother and the amazing race and all these shows for like all these like quirky weirdos that they brought into my life, both from the show and like in the podcast world in the community space.
1: Amen. Yeah. I totally, totally agree. And again, I will say that the show teaches me so much as well. And again, sometimes my feel people might feel that shows like survivor are a little handholdy towards the, the modern day as to like, this is someone's trauma and this is what, you know, their story is all about and why this representation matters. But I love getting to talk with the contestants about them getting to tell their stories about having someone like a Noel or a Ryan from season 43, get messages from the disabled community, thanking them for being able to reach out, talking with Joseph from big brother 24 about him opening up granted on the feeds, but not on the show about his ADHD and him saying that he received many, many messages from people saying like, my daughter has ADHD and you explained things in a way to make it seem like a superpower, not a weakness more than anyone else ever could. And that's that's, how Penn
0: also describes it for me. Like that was, I've been meaning to write an email to them, but I'm just not. It's it's going
1: the way of Elmo talk. Yeah. Because it's like
0: Kim and Penn, I feel like they both incorporate because Kim is like talked about her anxiety and the OCD. And and I'm like, that's me. But then also Penn, it's like, these are like my amazing race parents. Like and, like, and
1: that's what also makes things like Traders so invigorating. Traders UK in particular, like if Traders US is very fun, especially from the reality TV celeb perspective, but if you want like a legitimately interesting slice of life social experiment, Traders UK is chock full of human drama that again, feels so natural because these are just people figuring out the game on the fly. And especially this idea of playing a mafia game, but over like a month where you are making these out and out friendships and bonds. And then to have to think in the back of your head, are they actually betraying me? Are they stringing me along? And then to have also those people, if they are on the bad side, being like getting rid of this person would be good for me in the end, but I can't necessarily do this. There was so much jam packed emotion involved in that, that again, it brought me back to those early days where because people were so frantically trying to figure out how to handle all the new that was happening, they couldn't help but be themselves.
0: It, I've only seen the US one because, transparently, there's a lot of TV to catch up on. And I've been more into the scripted stuff lately, but I do feel confident that we'll have some time to catch up on all this stuff. Just like, a smidge. I, I fell off of the Australian Survivor. Uh, like, I would start a season and then, like, there's so many episodes. And then I just like haven't kept up with that, but I heard Do you watch shows, Big Brother one
1: at two. This was years speed. ago. This was years ago. You I, could watch Australian Survivor at two x speed definitively.
0: Oh, you know, the accents sometimes are hard. I watch the challenges on two x. I have to like, I gotta, I gotta. It, it's it's overwhelming. But yes, I sh- I should. I need to get on... I need to get back on my bullshit. Um.
1: Well, and that's the other thing as well is that through getting to watch all these international shows as well, which I know are not everyone's cup of tea. Uh. You know, understandably, there's a lot going on, but not only does it give me the chance to meet so many people from around the world my best friend is an australian who australian Ooh. south south african origin uh, origin who you know lives thousands of miles away but absolutely loves this and helped me get into it but to also find out about other cultures somewhat as well not to say i know everything about these countries obviously from watching the reality tv seasons but like I've only been to Canada a handful of times in my life, but I know so much about the geography watching Amazing Race Canada. The Amazing I... Race
0: Canada, the season with um, the First Nation winners. Mm-hmm. I thought, like, I learned so much just in that season alone. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I didn't know anything
1: about Two Spirit until watching that season of Amazing Race Canada. Uh, getting to, or even just getting to like experience Australian slang or like references or even foods, because obviously that's a big focus on Survivor. Even those small windows are awesome just because, again, with the window that I had essentially closed to a lot of the world growing up, this essentially allowed me to explore not just the world through Amazing Race, but almost humanity from a very specific lens.
0: You've also experienced probiotics from South Africa.
1: Oh, God, yes. And my gut will always remember it. Yeah, that's another thing. Like, I I got stuff sent to me from South Africa by incredibly lovely people. I'm like, I never would have done that in my life were it not for the idea of reality television in general
0: okay but i also desperately want to try steers they look delicious every time they pop up yeah um, it, it looks really incredible um I, I know we only have like so much time left but there's I so mean, many listen
1: let's things. let's keep going you you say what you want to say and i will respond like, in due time and take us in a completely different direction
0: there are two other big topics that we haven't even discussed that i had written down but like if you gotta go you gotta go
1: no right? i'm here okay, man cool Son's gone um, to bed. I'm all yours. Plus, you know me. I can. Yeah. I can do endurance podcasts. I
0: mean, you have done uh, multiple long podcasts. Five hours, I believe, is your record. No, you've done an eight-hour podcast.
1: So yeah. it's a little cheating. Josh Brigler and I did do what total to an eight-hour podcast for the final episode of Lost, but we did it across two recording sessions, so it wasn't because we also knew. This episode needs to be broken down with like our fully cohesive mental states. And by the time we got to the end of the end, end. (laughs) we would have been such a wreck that we would not have done it justice. So technically, from a combined perspective, it is eight hours. I think one session is, yeah, probably about four or five hours. Is it the Exodus podcast? The three, Yeah, Yeah, the season one, which is one of my favorite episodes of television in general.
0: I listened to a lot of it in a Ralph's which is a supermarket here in california years ago because that's when i it was right before the pandemic um that's the time castle like that's for me like that i think that's part of the adhd brain is like i can remember specific locations of where i listen to different podcasts um and like where you've been with me in certain buildings Mm. in college or in high school or in in post-college life uh it's wild to think like oh yeah i took a drive and i listened to mike bloom tell this story about this thing with like liana and shannon on a podcast Mm -hmm.
1: And then when I repeated the story at infinitum over the next like 10 years, then you remember where you were then and then, and then.
0: <laughs> I remember at least once. I don't know all the stories, like where it was. <laughs> I'm not that, that well memorized. Uh, but like you mentioned Lost and we haven't really talked about in what I call the nerdy umbrella, like your love of like superhero genre, the comics, mm-hmm. the the prestige genre. Uh, w- when did Mike Woon start dabbling in more like harder to watch things, uh, after after uh, being sensitive to it for many years growing up.
1: Yeah, so I mean, we're still long-winded going into the timeline of it all, right? Because I said reality TV got me wet. I did not mean to say that, but I'm going back to the example of like standing at the, the edge of the shores, right? Where I felt, OK, this is interesting. And so fall of 2004, I have been a Survivor fan now, going on four years. And a show is coming this fall to ABC that people are saying and falsely claiming at the time is like a scripted version of survivor where every episode it's a features a bunch of people who got in a plane crash and one person will die in every episode. It goes six feet under style. Now that ends up not being the case, but the other buy point for me was that it starred Dominic Monaghan and I have been very much into the Lord of the Rings films. That was my first real dabbling into fantasy besides the Harry Potter franchise in the late nineties. And I absolutely loved it. And so Lost was, for all intents and purposes, the first scripted drama I ever saw. And I had, I guess, matured mentally to a point from both my own age-wise maturation as well as maybe the resolve that I'd been built watching people do pretty despicable things on reality television for nearly half a decade that I fell unabashedly in love with the show the characters the mysteries the twists etc now all of this is to say of course we are speaking in July of 2023 and over the past several months many many events have happened that have shed some very unfortunate light as to the racism and sexism that occurred behind the scenes in Lost I'm currently reading Maureen Ryan's Burn It Down book which is Fantastic, especially in this day and age of a repudiation of Hollywood and the system in general. And that was a bit of a reckoning because the show obviously means a lot to me, even more so now that I have engaged in what I will say is the most fulfilling project I have done in my life, which was the Down the Hatch rewatch podcast I did with Josh Regler from 2019 to 2021, specifically focusing on Lost. All that is to say, it does not discredit any of the things that people like Harold Perrineau or Melinda Sue Taylor said, what they underwent was absolutely deplorable. And there's no excuse. It's not the time. It's not the culture. Bad shit was done there. So it's tough. I don't want to necessarily feel like I am putting that away in the corner whatsoever, but I also think it would be putting the show away in the corner if I didn't acknowledge how much it meant to me. And how much it meant to, to people in general. you know. Say what you want to about how the Saeed character ended, but to see an Iraqi character on TV a year after we began invading Iraq, I think is really interesting. To see a Korean couple initially presented as like soap opera-y, abusive, she wants to run away, and then see them become arguably the beating heart of the show, I was so just so revelatory for me in so many ways to get to see all the different types of problems that can exist. And specifically to see like bad people turn good and good people turn bad and bad turn good. And then back to bad and then back to good looking at you, Benjamin Linus. It absolutely blew my mind open, like the black rock in my favorite episode of lost. And it really, really was the gateway for me getting into network dramas and, to move on to like cable drama, streaming dramas as well. It made me realize what I was missing out on, how beautiful stories can come. And that also, yes, dramas do involve a lot of sadness to it, but God, there is so much happiness in there as well. You know, we talk about comedies that are essentially dramas nowadays, half hour drama, stuff like The Bear, but Lost had comic relief characters, comedic storylines, and then ultimately messages of happiness and hope that I would not have gotten whatsoever that have been instrumental in my life and what I take forward into my day-to-day, I wouldn't have experienced it whatsoever if I didn't get into this show. And then that leads down the path of like BoJack Horseman, which again is technically marketed as a comedy but is very much deeper. I don't think I would have gotten into that if I didn't start watching dramas like Lost. So not only is it one of my favorite shows that got put out there, warts and all from a quality perspective, it is something that is maybe one of the biggest stepping stones of all besides Survivor and The Simpsons as to who I am today and what I value in both television, movies, and people.
0: Similarly to you, uh, it's uh, very... like These shows have become some of my favorite types of shows, like these dramas that I... I sometimes especially when I was like finishing film school a lot of people would be like what do you want to write because at that time I really wanted to be a tv writer. I was like uh, I want to write dramedies because I think they encapsulate the like human condition where it's funny mm. and sad it's like happy and dark sometimes and like I think these shows very much encapsulate like I use Lost as an example This Is Us uh, Better Call Saul primarily because I like that one a little bit more than Breaking Bad but like those Ooh. two shows that's my take I think Better Call Saul is my that's my favorite scripted
1: show i'll admit i dropped off a better call saul i think around well so here's the thing is that i think my expectations were a Mm. little off where i think i was part of that crowd that was like yeah but when is he going to become saul goodman and i think anytime you set yourself up for that result and it's clear that they were building something quite different i was like yeah i'm not into the speed at this moment now that i was waiting for it to be completed so now i can like watch it on, on one fell swoop. I mean, yeah. I think the moment I end up getting some free time, I think I'm going to probably rewatch I it. I recommend
0: it. There is... Uh, how far did you get into it? Season three. Okay, there's an episode in season three that I think is one of the best episodes of television ever. Wow. Um, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but um, season... I remember because when I first got into the show, I went and binge listened to all the podcasts between each... Uh, after each season, and you did the uh, the five O episode with Mike, the Mike backstory one.
1: Yeah, uh, and I, yeah. and I enjoyed that, but I think to me, I was looking at this in a very different way than what yeah. I expected it to be. And that also taught That's me And that also taught me a lesson as well, too, which is, especially when it comes to, like, mystery, boxier, or prestige shows, as our good friend Rob know, likes to say, lowered expectations are the key to happiness, or to, like, yeah. keep your mind open yeah. about things. Uh, that Better Call Saul came in with people just saying, oh, this is a spinoff focused on someone like Saul Goodman and ends up turning into, like, this revelatory product that some people are saying, and you're not the only one who I've heard this argument from is better than the original source. And
0: I also like maintain that. I like a slow burn better. I feel mm. like the payoff sometimes can be so worth it. Like if you like, even if you're impatient like me, which is weird, right? Cause I would feel like I would like the fast paced action of breaking bad uh, with a episode and like high stakes every single episode. No, whereas... I, I mean,
1: I, I feel you like I am much more into the character stuff of it all. Like, this is gonna be the most basic bitch opinion, but I absolutely adore The Wire, which is not really plot-based mm-hmm. whatsoever. You don't really remember The Wire for the plot. There are certainly twists and turns and arcs to every season, but by and large, it's a vibes show. It's yeah. just hanging out with these characters every week.
0: I, go, I love a good vibes show. Like, anything that can make me laugh and cry, like, This Is Us, especially, like, the earlier seasons, like, I think through season three, I really love, like, season four, five, six, like, I still enjoyed, but, like, Though, like, this is us, like, the because the, it's not a big plot show, it's kind of like, oh, how did Jack die? Is basically like the only mystery that they have, and then they have like a couple like others throughout the year, but like it's just a vibes
1: show, right? And that's I'm the like... other thing as well about watching Lost and rewatching and re rewatching Lost is we've talked so many times on Down the Houch about how Lost meets you where, where you, you are. are, and what's so interesting about having such a sprawling cast with so many different stories is that, in my opinion, every time I've done a major rewatch of the show different characters have hit for me. Like, obviously, the first time you watch, you're fans of, like, the Hurley, the Sawyer, the Juliet, etc. My second time watching was in 2015, like, was watching a boss? major stretch of episodes. Yeah, and I, I had just gotten married. And so, like, I was very much paying attention to Jin and Son of, like, this love and, like, the ebbs and flows, ups and downs that came with marriage and having a soulmate and binding yourself to someone for the rest of your life and, like, all the complications that come therein. And then Down the Hatch happened four months after uh, we had Asher. And so I obviously viewed not only the Claire, Aaron stuff, but in general, the idea of fathers and sons and how much that recurs throughout the show. Hell, all the best cowboys have daddy issues, as one episode will say. But like getting to see all of those relationships and how complicated they are over the course of the season hit so differently for me. And so... That's a really fantastic show to watch to rewatch, also because, like a lot of people, I was primarily caring about the mysteries about the plot of the show. I certainly liked characters, but for me, I came back every week to be like, Okay, what mystery is going to be solved this time? You know, what big question will be answered? But Lost can be a plot show, obviously, from a lot of the stuff the scripts revolve around. But if you watch it as more of a vibe show, if you watch it as tracking. The arcs of these characters with the plot and the island more so in the background, like it is in basically every scene in Hawaii, it's an infinitely more enjoyable experience, in my opinion. Not only due to the satisfaction of the ending, which does, I think, a complete 180 when you look at it from that lens, but also to just take a really distilled look as to where these people start and where they end up. I think it's by far a more fulfilling way to watch. Not only that show, but more the stuff I like in general, than maybe something like a twenty-four, which is more so focused on okay, what's going to happen this week.
0: And that's why I like I love character shows that you mentioned. Like never have I ever, I don't know if you've seen that. It's like very I've, I've watched a little bit of it, yeah. It's such a good character show because like it is a dramedy. It's tight 30 minutes, though, which I appreciate sometimes. Uh, yeah, but uh, especially
1: I, nowadays. Yeah, yeah it's, it's nice. It's a nice breath of fresh air. I'm watching Star Wars Rebels now for the first time, which is another VA moment where I slap myself and, like, how did I not get into this sooner? This is some of the best Star Wars yeah. television I've ever seen. But those come in at 21 minutes, and it's like, this is nice. Yeah. This feels really nice.
0: Yeah, I need to get back on my Clone Wars bullshit. Uh, I, I, I I have a whole spreadsheet, Mike. Oh, uh, my I, God. We, got, we I and. I'll show it to you offline, but it's embarrassing, but also like also kind of like calming for my ADHD brain. I feel um, you.
1: I I really like organizing things into lists and being able to. I used to. Uh, I decided to undergo my own project of like watching slash rewatching SNL from the beginning when I was still into SNL, and I would like make a chart of the episode, the date it aired, the guest slash musical guests and then like my personal rating from one to ten to try to track yeah. what are the best episodes in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and then when, like, it doesn't come to fruition, like, I had one of those for The Simpsons and Wizards of Liberty Place when Disney Plus both started up, and it's, like, somewhere dead in some email that I don't check anymore. Um, But uh, one, uh, so just to, like, circle back to, like, the pain that, like, the things that come out about Lost uh, Mm. can cause, like, it's still important to recognize, like, what the show can provide for you. Like, I have very, very complicated feelings on Ryan Murphy Just because of like Glee was transcendent for me, especially the first three seasons, which I watched live Mm -hmm. or semi live with like the first season I caught up to it. Um, Yesterday was the anniversary of Cory Monty's passing and also 10
1: years, which is wild, which
0: also like not to go on a tangent, but it was kind of like one of those moments where I felt like I was on a reality show and came out to news because I didn't know about this until two weeks later because I was on this study of mini like study abroad immersive Mm -hmm. program. And I had a flip phone at the time, so I didn't know about this. Yeah, these. you're
1: not getting live updates from TMZ yeah. on that flip phone. So
0: I found this out like two and a half weeks after it happened, or like at least wow. 10 days or something. It was like yeah. wild. I was like, this felt very trippy. Um, yeah. Uh, but also like, this is also the week that Naya Rivera passed away a couple years ago. Yeah. And she primarily was foundational to me because of like what she represented in terms of intersectionality. Um, let alone her being like a phenomenal character in its own right. Yeah. Uh, but like the reckoning that like, I feel like, um some of the cast members of glee have had i've listened to the jenna and kevin podcast which i really enjoy they are willing to hold people accountable unlike i know this was a conversation we've had in the discord like i love the office ladies they seem like lovely ladies but they're like everything is like rainbows and ponies and i feel the same way about the parks and recollection one
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't didn't venture into parks and recollection because i had a feeling yeah like rob lowe is is great but i feel like he's channels so much of Chris Traeger yeah. just in that type well of now it's, setting. it's
0: Jim O'Hare um and oh the Jerry's writers. on there yeah, too Jerry yeah so but it's like these are very rainbows and ponies like we love each other like um I have complicated feelings in Chris Pratt as well and like they're the like oh is, Chris yeah. Pratt is the nicest guy and I'm like mm, he doesn't care about all the people that I care about um <laughs> in the same ways but uh I feel like Kevin and Jenna they've had Ryan Murphy on on the podcast multiple times um, and, like, I'm so fascinated by him on the podcast, but I also don't like him because of stories I've heard about what the set of Monster was like from people who worked on it, and mm. also, like, recently he's, like, trying to sue the WGA captain because yeah, he has and he, he, just, he's like-
1: also been filming American Horror Story, right? That's where Kim K crossed the picket lines to film yeah. her, her part. And I,
0: I just feel, like, icky about Ryan Murphy. Also, like, what he allowed to happen on the sets of Glee, and obviously, yeah. like, I'm sure it was a typical time for him as well as, like, someone who, like, was friends with Corey Monteith past the moment, but like, it's important to like still recognize what these shows provided and how they can still like young. You didn't know that. So it's okay to still love that stuff for like childhood. You
1: No, I completely agree that again, I can understand very valid for people to feel like I am done with this burn this show. I'm never going to like it again, but I don't know. I feel like, especially when the show is so important to you, it is actively denying a very important piece of your life. And the whole thing about Lost is that, yes, Juliet does say, like, it doesn't matter what we were, it matters what we are. But the foundational thing about those flashbacks was what characters took with them to the island, both good and mostly bad. And it just feels like you're denying a part of what makes you you and feeling like, well, I can't even think about that anymore. I mean, there's an entire conversation about art and the artist and being separated but i don't know as it becomes more and more exposed hopefully so even more so over time about like the shitty people that exist behind the scenes there's also the idea right of like the fans taking ownership of the product as well there is the capitalist side of thing of like are you putting more money in these creators pockets by engaging with it but maybe it's just me being hopelessly optimistic and again it's not to demean whatsoever those that do feel like a clean break is necessary for them i Find it near impossible and irresponsible from my perspective to be like this thing changed me for the better but because bad things happen behind the scenes I have to now eradicate all the good stuff it gave me it feels like we're learning the wrong lesson
0: I agree and like one of like probably my most favorite genre of music is pop and one of my first big pop like forays was Michael Jackson and like Mm. it's complicated now but it's like I can still, like, appreciate this genre, but, like, sometimes when I think about the genre, I'm like, who's the king of pop? It's Michael Jackson. And there's, like, some unsavory things about him. And it's, like... To say the
1: least. (laughs) To say
0: the least, yeah. Uh, So it's, like, I can't, like, excommunicate this whole genre of music. Yes, maybe I don't listen to Michael Jackson on my Spotify, but, like, I still... I know he gets money from, like, the Glee covers of Michael Jackson, but I still like those covers. And it's, it's very hard for me to separate sometimes and it's easier for other celebrities but like I think Chris Pratt is a really good actor and it's hard sometimes when I'm like I know I don't like you I don't like you but you made me forget that you're Mario right now and that's frustrating for me and like Guardians of the Galaxy is I think my favorite of the Marvel Cinematic Universe like besides Black Panther I think it's my favorite Mm -hmm. of the like entities like like each one I think is like as a collective, like I think the Thor movies I enjoy generally more holistically.
1: I mean, I uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed
0: one <laughs> Thor movie very, very much, and then the other
1: ones maybe less so. I'm a
0: weirdo who my favorite of the original six phase one films is Thor
1: <laughs> since I was a kid. Since I, I was a kid, I always loved Kenneth Branagh, obviously, as someone who went to school for theater, like his Shakespeare directing adaptations are fantastic. Go watch Much Ado About Nothing with him and Emma Thompson. It is so freaking good. Has Denzel Washington and uh, Keanu Reeves doing Shakespeare? What more could you want? Uh, But yeah, I, I think it's tough, especially for us as, listen, we are the not normal people that like have these pieces of pop culture as things that inform who we are as people. Not all of us are like that. There are people out there who again are listening to podcasts and moving on and not feeling the need to send in feedback who are just like, yeah, I mostly learn stuff from, you know, playing sports and hanging out with my friends that they can look at this stuff and say, Oh yeah, fine. I'm good with canceling Harry Potter. But when it's a part of who you are, first off, the heartbreak is understandable because again, it's part of your composition. It's almost like finding out a family member had done something unscrupulous because it's something that has informed your own genetics in a manner of speaking. But I think it also means to your point, like you can forgive yourself, A, for the younger version of yourself for like not realizing it in the moment because nobody did. Be easy on yourself. Like if six billion people didn't realize it, it's okay if you didn't either. And also because if it's something that you came out of with a good experience, I am of the, the foundational philosophy that memories inform who you are. And I try to take every good or bad thing as an experience and something I can put in my pocket that is looking like George Costanza's wallet at this point and be able to move forward with and learn a little bit more about this big blue marble that we're spinning on as a result. And so for me, it's not about throwing out the baby with the bathwater, whatever that might entail for you. For me personally, again, me personally, it's about more so taking a look at something, thinking about what can I learn from this as an example, looking at the, these obviously very intrusive, very offensive lost events and saying like, okay, I could have a more scrupulous eye when it comes to especially from an entertainment journalistic perspective, how things are run behind the scenes, you know, the power dynamics that exist with showrunners, the need to fit in and enable certain behaviors just because you want to do the thing that everyone else is doing. Like those are lessons to take away as well, as well as my own understanding of pop culture.
0: Yeah, and uh, they, they inform your life, but they're still a piece of your life. Um, I had a thought, and then the ambulance came by, and I just got distracted again, which was- You were just thinking, like, who's going there? What's their story? <laughs> yeah, what's their story? Um, but uh, I guess tying this all back to where we started, and then we can wind down with this. You've mentioned many times your mini-me, your son- Uh, How has being a dad informed uh, your experiences in the media you consume now, like what you want to show him? He's also a Star Wars baby. He's a Star Wars baby,
1: literally born on May 4th. Yeah. Yep.
0: So uh, how, and then also like, I guess, like your experiences in community settings, like watching things in a group, whether it's like the live shows that we go to, whether it's like growing up, watching things with your family, like that Simpsons episode, Uh, like how does experience uh, watching things and like showing others the things that you love. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I
1: guess is my question. <laughs> yeah, it's odd to say, but it's still a completely new experience to me. It's not the right term to use, but like for the vast majority of my life, I was essentially like a closeted survivor fan. Um, where when I had really gotten serious with my now wife, Angela, I remember we had graduated, she had come to visit me when I was living in my parents' house. And I said, like, Okay. Tonight is Wednesday night. Just so you know, like, I'm going to watch the merge episode of Survivor Karamoan. Yes, that show is still on. Yes, I watch it religiously. Yes, I follow forums and listen to podcasts about it. But I use a pseudonym because I don't want anyone knowing that I do so. Because apparently, yeah, apparently it's super embarrassing from my perspective. So, like, I'm sorry. This is a part of me. And it's so interesting to look back on that because I have been so... Incredibly grateful for all of these community watch experiences. Like, it is astounding to me on so many levels getting to go to a live know it alls to just a live viewing party because all I do when I look around is like think back to the 10 year old version of myself who would talk about things with people, but then as others would fade away on the show, I felt like I couldn't talk about that with anybody else. And so I found the internet more and more, whether it's playing orgs or whether it's, you know, hanging out on forums with people, but largely remaining by myself and to be like out in the open, Mike Bloom here as like an actual voice relatively so in the community of this show that I once felt ashamed to be a fan of and to be in a room of people who love the show as well and get invigorated by it like it's a sports game or like the finale of a major prestige TV show. It legitimately blows me away every single time because I never thought on earth, I would get here. When it comes to the Asher side of things, there is sort of a similar thing as well. Honestly, you know, for a good portion of my life, before Angela and I got together, I was very much set on, like, I will be, you know, the Joey Tribbiani. You know, I'll be, like, the goofy comic relief bachelor in my friend group, and I won't have kids, I won't get married, I'm fine living a lonely existence for the rest of my life. And obviously, things change in a very blessed way, including having my son. I was never prepared to be a father, but I love getting to like reexperience life through him and get to to show him things that I both had seen before, but that I hadn't. I hadn't gotten into superheroes until a pretty old age. Like I had watched um X-Men the animated series and I watched like the the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. but honestly, once I really started getting into the MCU around like twenty fourteen, that's the first time I read comics. I had not read any comics, Marvel, DC, whatever, before that for just... Calvin and Hobbes? I did read the Calvin kids? and Hobbes. Okay. I guess that's a <laughs> comic strip. Okay, uh, And I read, like, Simpsons comics, but it feels distinctly different from, yeah, like, no, for superhero sure. comics. And so it's so interesting to now feel like he gets this ability to access these things, not only in a way with the amount of media that's available to him, but also getting to jump on these things in a way that I wasn't able to because of like my own issues going on that nobody was really able to figure out. We're at a point where mental health research is stronger than ever. We're able to take care of our kids in a very different way than we were even 10 years ago, where we're able to cater content to that as well. And so it's been amazing to like Watch him get into Spider-Man. Watch him get into Star Wars. That's It's just so cool. And I'm also grabbing onto the moment because you never know when that phase will go out. And he's like, I don't like that anymore. I'm moving on, you know, to make sure he's into the the dorky things that I like. That is awesome. But also,
0: I love how that you like are letting him enjoy all this stuff. And like, cause I was also a closet fan of different shows and stuff. So I'm like, I love the fact that you're like, no, here and this is a safe space for you to enjoy this stuff
1: that's the thing is one of the main lessons I've taken from again this entire roller coaster that has been particularly the last 10 years of my life is that again as I said like be open about who you are about the shows that you like that you might not like I've been very open particularly about like the shows I've been embarrassed to say that I haven't watched yet I haven't watched the Sopranos maybe I've I will seen the Dark Knight It's fine. Again, that's the thing is it it. it feels weird in the moment, but I I find it so freeing to be able to, to do that and to be open about like, these are the things I like and trying to get other people into it as well, whether it's my partner in Angela or whether it's my son in Asher and just being able to see things through his eyes. It is honestly alleviating sometimes because the pressure on all of us in this moment as adults, and especially I feel bringing someone into this consistently, increasingly fracturing world can get very, very heavy. And so it's nice to sometimes let that weight off by just like watching my kid enjoy Luke Skywalker, you know, and and call Darth Vader his best friend, which I do have (laughs) some concerns about, but for right now I think it's cute, so it's okay. Maybe that's how the whole problem started in the first place with Anakin Skywalker. It it's it's almost my escape as well. And for so long I have had these shows, these movies serve as my own escape from my own day-to-day issues and sometimes learn about them a bit more. But now I get to see through the eyes of obviously a more flesh and blood form of escape in front of me, him have his own journey, his own version of escaping. And that is just it's so freaking cool. It's it's so again an incredibly lucky. And grateful that I, I get to do this, that I get to be along his side, showing him the things I love, as well as getting to see him sort of go on his own path, too, to go places where I dare not when I was his age. It's been an unbelievable experience in, in so many ways. That's like the the one term I would use to define how the past 10 years have been for me. Just unbelievable in every sense of all five syllables.
0: I love that and uh, just three quick follow ups one uh, as someone who has been writing for Anakin Skywalker I feel like that man was just misguided if he had more love and less pressure he would not have turned out the way he was so you just make sure you yeah. emphasize the love and maybe uh, maybe they can be best friends him and Anakin. As,
1: as, as long as we don't have Asher like win a pod race and have to go hang out with like a couple of old guys yeah. trying to teach him the ways of the force and leave his parents behind that'll be a good step I believe
0: it's also hilarious that, like, I feel like the whole time I've been nodding ahead, it's like relatable, relatable, relatable. And then you get to the fact that you were like, I was gonna be Joey Tribbiani, I was like, oh no, I'm like the Ted Mosby, the untoxic Ted Mosby, where yeah. I, want, I want the relationship and the kids and that. But like, that's like the first time I felt like, oh, this is like the first like, difference. But that's like the beautiful human yeah. experience that, like, this is, and, and you ended up with a family anyway. Yeah. So, um, but it's, and, it's and, it, and it'll, it'll
1: come. It'll yeah. come. I I've, I've now firmly believe, after being with Angela, like, there is a pot for every lid. And we're at a time where we are now connected more than ever uh, for good and for bad. Yeah. And so, you know, you never know. The person will be out there for you somewhere in some country, in some city, in some state, in some universe, maybe. <laughs> Again, let's uh, let's not completely, <laughs> yeah, be speciesist here. So, yeah, it, it's been something I never truly expected because i had you know several bad encounters i had been in love before and it didn't work out well and i had just conditioned myself to believing like yeah you're just not meant to do this it's fine it doesn't happen for everybody you have other things to be happy about and i didn't realize how full my heart was capable of getting i'd shut it off for so long
0: yeah we don't have to break all this down now because i know this is not the topic but it's definitely an interesting conversation and something that i'm trying to like let go of a little bit more like the the um what i want or like the the I, I this is something that i was talking to my therapist about like how mm. tv romanticizes a lot of friendships relationships yeah. like life and it's like not always going to be like that even like friendships you have to i do mean more, more work in that than you realize watching like i mean let's do a bit square peg single. round
1: hole into fatherhood i yeah. talked before about how much like bluey and particularly bluey's dad is oftentimes like a model parent in terms of him being so actively engaged you know playing with his kid oftentimes not getting getting angry ready to commit to everything and also like teach warm lessons along the way and i actually have talked with other dads about this and they have said like yeah but remember this is seven minutes out of their day and while it is obviously not what the creators are to assume it's also a good reminder for us as well of you don't need to be on all the time from a fatherhood perspective. Obviously, pay attention, show love and devotion to your child, but don't put yourself on a pedestal where you feel like you have to be in that number one dad mode the entire time or things will just crumble around you.
0: It's it, it's hard to like try to distance yourself because we do, we, you and I, we surround ourselves with these pieces of media, right? We yeah. are very passionate about this type of storytelling and like learning about different people through the stories that we see. But it's also like, you're still making your own story and it's still unwritten and you have to go on that path. So it can be very challenging sometimes to disconnect, especially for me who's someone working at a movie studio who tells stories about movie stories all day. Um, So sometimes it's hard to disconnect where I'm like surrounded by the media. And I'm sure for you as well, someone who's like reading about different media and like writing about it and uh, being a journalist in the space and talking about media. So uh, something to remember, but I also do appreciate the fact that you're, like, very vulnerable with the things that you love now. Uh, and it's yeah. done me well to be transparent about the shows that I like. Like, being transparent about my love of Big Brother led me to a really cool gig one time in Ooh. L.A., like a game show gig. Um, so I am not ashamed of, like, this stuff. I mean, i have a big Rob as a podcast post-show recaps dork. And, like, yeah. look at me. I'm talking to you. In the wise words of one of my favorite prophets, Lyle Crocodile. Take a look at us now.
1: Wow, the Sean Mendez crocodile comes to speak. I, I totally agree. And it's also interesting to see Survivor grow with so many people becoming fans of it due to the pandemic primarily of like, yeah, join us. The fact that again, something I thought that nobody watched is now being watched by maybe it's most amount of people ever besides that season one finale. It's awesome to think about from my own mental perspective considering where I thought things were 20 years ago.
0: It's incredibly exciting uh, that like the show that like, hopefully now it's less of a chore for me to try to convert my friends, but it's still some work sometimes. Like I, I've been trying to pitch my friends for like a year and I'm giving them episodes or seasons. Cause I, I'm very confident that there are some episodes that are so compelling as an individual story that I think the Jeff Kent episode of Philippines is like, Ooh. there's a hero in Penner, right. there's like the villains. It's like a well-executed story. <laughs> and there's then the chaos. villains don't die in the end. <laughs> No, but it's, like, something enough that, like, he wins the episode. It's, like, the hero wins. And I think that's, like, a very compelling starting episode. I'm trying to find more episodes where I can, like, convert my friends into that. But Can just you just so say stubborn. that
1: Tom Holland really likes it and then they'll just jump on board?
0: I wish. I know Jesse was tweeting that. Which, by the way, Jesse, like, that is the most I've identified with, like, an individual on these shows. Uh, sorry to the two friends that I've had, like, in Daniel <laughs> and Brandon. But, <laughs>
1: have, you, have, you, have you told them that?
0: jesse no i yeah. i've never met jesse in person i've tweeted I mean, i've tweeted about it but like yeah, i was
1: gonna say like yeah, uh, yeah dm him reach out to him he's an incredibly nice guy and I think i'm he sure he
0: is but him. it's like i don't know i still like get it's i, weird I listen, I'm, I'm, like also, yeah, I'm also yeah i'm also saying
1: yeah that you're like this is very healthy <laughs> to keep things at arm's length also dm these reality tv contestants transparently yeah. it's here. still
0: overwhelming emailing you or rob or josh or reaching out sometimes i'm like it's, it's like I, i'm a fan still like it's weird like you know. i'm a fan of yours Thank you, Michael. Um, but I brought back the
1: for the first name, the full first brought name. It
0: full circle. Um, but yeah, this was so fun. I feel like I could have this conversation with you for hours like talking about different pieces of media like even just like yeah. jumping around. We, we could spend hours talking about like things that I know you like, like avatar or mm-hmm. superheroes or like there's so many different pieces of media that we could talk about, but I feel like we got a good encapsulation. but if you ever want to do a part two, open invite. Oh, um, of course,
1: let's Mission Impossible yes, this, right? Yes. Do a part two that will be coming up at some point in years and years to come.
0: Well, it was supposed to come out next year, same with Spider-Verse, but who knows? Yeah, I will <laughs> uh, sure. Um But with that said, um, Mike, you have many a things going on these days. Where can the people keep up with you? And then as always, what is a pop culture plug for you to give out to the listeners?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, so I will just say in general, add a Mike Bloom type on all social media islands in this increasing archipelago that is I the do internet. have a question
0: about your your twitter profile photo it's been the same for 10 years are you maintaining that forever
1: um i don't know there is without saying too much a picture of myself in a fairly high quality that i might change but i also am very superstitious my own ocd of like Valid. yeah but should i change it i mean someone made like that was one of my first pinch me moments where like someone made an 8-bit Avatar of me. And I was like, this is fantastic. No, I never I, thought I'd get this. So like I and the mic is still there, yeah. so I think I it stays perfect.
0: Yeah. And also being. we didn't even mention that like Survivor led you to getting a tattoo right here. So yeah, like that's exactly. how much you love
1: Survivor. That'll be for part two coming up in yeah. 2027. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so adding Mike Bloom type is where I put everything out. At this point, don't know when this is coming out, but there's so many projects coming and going that again, I'm so happy to be a part of that, like, it would be near impossible to try to pin down what's happening. But if you're a fan of survivor big brother the amazing race the challenge you'll check out stuff i'm doing at parade.com where i'm covering it all over the course of the next few months post show recaps so much stuff basically in the realms of like sci-fi mystery boxy types of shows when they are existing so feel free to check all that stuff out as well as me appearing on these types of podcasts and random smatterings as well whenever i am so lucky to get asked to guest pop culture recommendation Honestly, it's got to be Star Wars Rebels. Uh, I was someone who did not engage with it whatsoever. I didn't watch The Clone Wars until a few years ago just because I really had not soured on Star Wars, but kind of became tired of it. But it is incredibly well done. It was actually going back to our original chats about like watching things out of your age range. It was initially a Disney Junior show, but starting in about season two, they maybe get the, the hint of, okay, Star Wars nerds are watching us of all ages, and so they really mature. The visual quality takes a major uptick. It's full of an ensemble of characters that all have arcs over the course of the season. They bring in cameos, but I think they're done tastefully and in moderation, and it produces, like, honestly, some beautiful moments and some of the best fights I've seen across Star Wars in general. So if you want to get into some really, really good Star wars content that has already been produced so it's not strike dependent and is in animation as well which is a, a genre that of course in a medium that i absolutely adore check that out it's on disney plus as well so if you're a big star wars fan get into that
0: love that quickly for me at with the fleet on all social media brazil dragon pod for the podcast who knows when this is coming out, but right now our focus is scooby-doo and high school musical the musical the series final season dropping all at one on I, a, I, I like,
1: saw you were rewatching the series. How has that been so far? I've
0: only seen the first episode. Ricky sucks off the bat. I forgot how much he sucked in the first episode. I am not a Joshua Bassett hater, but I'm a Ricky Bowen hater. I hope that he, Gina, breaks up with him and they end up with Corn. Oh, that's spoilers. I don't think you were <laughs> caught up. But I mean,
1: I, I, they, they've been hinting at it through the smattering yeah. of episodes that I saw. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I had assumed that it would end that way. That the show's not like, not. Not sugary sweet enough that they yeah. wouldn't end with that. It's
0: also wild because I feel like the show completely lost its wheels, but only because of the success of Olivia Rodrigo. I like, know
1: that's the thing—is she left, and they're like, "Oh crap!" That's essentially the main character of our show. What do we do now?
0: It's so interesting. I'm excited to do this journey. um Rewatching it, uh doing that. Uh, Scooby Doo also, and then we have some plans. Like, I definitely want to do a song bracket at the end for High School Musical musical series. Oh, okay. Um, and then uh, in terms of my other stuff, I am performing with my friend Jeremy. We have a stand-up show on August 12th in the Los Angeles area. So if you're in the LA area, probably not many people who are listening to this might be, but if you, you are, and want to see it. We um, just spoke
1: about how there are people in corners of the world that are interested in the same stuff we are without realizing it.
0: True. We do have a fan of the Phineas and Fur podcast from the Philippines, which is cool. Whoa! So, uh-huh. Is it
1: because it begins with P-H?
0: Who knows? We, we also had a season. Of, we did a brand steal. Survivor Fletcher Flynn Philippines, Something like that. Uh, uh, or Survivor fin, Finapines. And, I don't know. I don't remember what we called it. And then our season two, we did Survivor Mango Chutney versus Blood versus Water. Uh, mm. Because Baljeet says, this is thicker than uh, Mango Chutney. And then Navi made a joke about Mango Chutney is thicker than Blood versus Water.
1: Oh, there we go. So, I love it. I it was love
0: Australian it. Survivor also, which was a hoot and a half. Um, listen yeah
1: (laughs) the brand brand steel is incredible i absolutely love it again one of my one of my rare opportunities to like really do full improv now that i've kind of left that part of my life behind so i love getting to shrug on the jacket see if it's too tight or not and and, you know uh, scuff up the goofiness that is brand steel
0: it's a chaotic time and we just recorded our first episode back we'll be releasing those again we got our bullshit back uh we back on our bullshit sorry and I guess I mentioned earlier but Lyle Lyle Crocodile is gonna be my pop culture plug is the movie okay. objectively good no but did I cry absolutely it made it like healed a part of Childhood Me the kid didn't have friends he was friends with the crocodile there were bangers it's the people who composed um The Greatest Showman Yeah, basically, and Paul yeah yes there are some bangers in there Javier Van is going for choices I am here for all of them <laughs> Um, that is my pop culture plug, but there's so many great things pop culture wise. Like if you can get out to the theaters, support, uh, especially the blackening and joyride If you mm. like comedies, uh, joy you mentioned Daniel day Kim, he's in the movie. And I almost, uh, I almost screamed daddy day Kim. And then no one would have gotten that reference. Uh,
1: I, I, that cast looks awesome. I love Stephanie Sue. I love all the love that she has been getting. I'll admit, like I wasn't a huge Devotee of uh Be More Chill, certainly on the level that some fans have yeah. got. But like I I really enjoyed her I love Ashley Park, another theater convert. And that's why I'm I'm still I'm the stage mom that roots for like when Broadway actors do projects on film or TV, like Jonathan Bailey doing Bridgerton and now going to play Fiero in the Wiccan movie. I'm like, yes, I just watched clips of you in the West End doing company. It's so
0: fun to see all the success of these theater people. Also, um, another pop culture plug, the cast recording for Shucked, I desperately want to see Shucked so badly. I love Alex Newell. Yes. And um, it, uh, you know that I was writing the Brant Steel for the PSR patrons. I mm. listened to the cast album like three times on loop one time, just, uh, or like the three days that I wrote in a row um, recently. And I just love Alex Newell. So happy for them and yeah. all their success. Um, but yeah, with that said, Mike, if hashtags are still a thing, what should they hashtag?
1: God! What should the hashtag be? We doted on so many subjects. Hashtag cum?
0: No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
1: no. I mean, we'll get a very... You're talking about finding an audience? Like, you will find an audience to come out to your show <laughs> in LA if you use hashtag cum. I don't know. I'm sorry. I know I have said, oh, I love doing improv, but you call me on the spot. I'm just trying to think past our two-hour conversation
0: um <laughs> i'm trying you know to know what we're,
1: we're gonna are we're gonna do hashtag fly by f-l-y-b-y-e in honor of you randomly swatting away the fly and <laughs> missing the answer to your question
0: that was the moment it came back recently and i was like go away fly uh i this is a random tangent quickly before we wrap up but there was an episode of the challenge podcast many years ago that ally and brian got in a debate about the old lady who swallowed the fly yes and i remember that deeply that moment i remember where i was i was trying to fall asleep and that was a wild time when i thought i could fall asleep to podcasts um not a thing (laughs) no it's
1: it's tough i'm someone who i thought when i was a kid like and i had to memorize lines for a play i'll do the old trick on sitcoms where you listen to the lines on repeat when you're sleeping and then you'll wake up and it'll automatically be memorized just in your gray matter but like i don't know anyone that can fall asleep listening to something and truly listening to something maybe if you have like calming music on in the background but i don't know i think it's just because i'm so single-minded i have a very tough time multitasking that I can't be actively listening to something while also trying to put my body to sleep.
0: See, for me, I have it in the background, but then my mind still spirals anyways. But then I'll have like, right now I'm doing the Marvel movies in Portuguese. um, So then I can listen to it because I've been trying to improve my Portuguese professionally. Um, But then previously it was Friends when I first got this job because Friends is like the biggest show in the world, especially for Warner Brothers. Um, So then I listened to Friends and I flipped the iPad over and just like had it in the background and I put a sleep timer on it and then like it works but it took me a while to get used to it but i can't fall asleep with like nothing in the background and white noise never worked for me mm. uh the sleep with me podcast never worked for me
1: um so well nothing says white noise better than friends probably the ultimate version of white noise <laughs> love it um with that said hashtag Flyby.
0: thank you so mike m- so much mike for doing this podcast anytime
1: man this was so fantastic thank you for having me on i get the opportunity to talk about so many specific pieces, you know, usually covering them episodically. So very rarely do I get to go macro here. I
0: loved it. Um, And with that said, stay tuned to the media made me for more exciting interviews until next time, everyone. Bye.
1: Now I know I'm dreaming master.
0: I don't think you quite realize what you've got here. So why don't you just ruminate whilst I illuminate the possibilities. Well Alibaba had them forty thieves. Sherry's out he had a thousand tails. But master you in luck, cause Up your sleeves. You got a brand of magic never fails. You got some power in your corner now. Some heavy ammunition in your camp.
1: You got some punch, Yahoo and house. all you gotta do is rub that lamp.
0: And I'll say,
1: Mr. sir, while will your pleasure be?
0: Let me
1: take your order, jot it down. You ain't never had a friend like me. <laughs> Life is your restaurant and.
0: I'm your melody. Come on, whisper what it is you want. You ain't never had a friend like me. Yes, sir.
1: We pride ourselves on service.
0: You're the boss, the king, the shah. Say what you wish. It's yours. True dish about a little more boggle As I'm a column A, try all of column B. I'm in the mood to help you, dude. You ain't never had a friend like me. (laughs) No oh ma, wow. no no, wow. <laughs> Can your friends do
1: this? Can your friends do that? Can your friends pull this out their little hat? Can your friends go?
0: Woo! Hey, looky here! Uh-huh. You know, friends go
1: abracadabra, let it rip! And then make the sucker disappear. Why, 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 why don't you sit there, slap your buggy hide. i made the to answer all your business less. You got me bone-out, sweet ass, certified. You got a genie for a charge to fail. I got a power <gasps> to help you out. So what you wish, I really want to know. You got
0: a list that's three miles long, no doubt. Well, all you got to do is rub like so, <laughs> Mr. Aladdin, sir, have a wish of two or three. I'm on the job, you big nabob. You ain't never had a friend, never had a friend. You ain't never had a friend, never had a friend. You ain't never had a friend. You ain't never had a friend.